In the deepest, darkest part of a forest lived a tribe, hidden from all. They had large wings on their backs and were beautiful. They were what would be called beasts. Among them was their princess, who had huge ashen wings. Their law said once one turned 16, they would be allowed to fly outside the forest. And on her 16th birthday, the princess took flight to the world beyond the forest. She crossed the steep mountains and the surging rivers and reached the land of humans. The moon shone brightly in the sky. She landed in a castle garden where she found a young man gazing up at the moon. The princess hid in the bushes and stared at the young man. And for the first time, love bloomed in her heart. But he was clearly of a different race. A beast and a human could never be together. And so, the princess went to see a witch who lived in the same forest and said, I want to live as a human. I want to be united with him. The witch replied like so, I can help you if you offer me your wings, but keep this in mind. No matter how you disguise yourself, you are a beast, and you will consume the prince's life one day. The princess ripped off her wings and was assaulted by pain far more intense than she had ever felt. She could never fly again. Even so, she smiled happily, with tears of joy streaming down her face. I'm human! I'm human! I'm the same as him now! The princess once again set out for the land of humans, this time on foot. In the desert, she spotted a group of people. Oh no, is there anyone who can save him? There lay a young man, his leg bitten by a snake. The princess rushed to his side and sucked out the venom from his wound. Thank you, O oh brave lady. I am the prince of these lands. It was the same young man she had met in the castle. I owe you my life to you. Please, marry me. A wedding ceremony was soon held after. The priest asked the princess clad in a wedding dress of pure white, do you vow to be true to him in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, until death do you part? I do. The two exchanged rings, and when the priest said so, they sealed their vows with a kiss. And cheers rang out across the land. Bless the brave girl who saved our prince's life. The whole kingdom celebrated their marriage. Humans, humans, they neither have wings to fly, nor the claws or fangs to hunt. Such weak and frail creatures. But they are so, so warm. Humans are wonderful. After the wedding, she lived happily as the princess of a human land. She supported the prince in his work, traveled the world, and saw oceans studded with glints of sapphire, sparkling grasslands, and auroras that swayed like raging flames. The princess took the prince's hand and said with a smile on her face, Grab onto me and never let go, darling. But the princess's happiness was short-lived. She woke up one night to a pain that threatened to rend her asunder and found her body turning into one of a beast. Why? I asked you to make me a human. On her back were jet black wings, tearing through her flesh and skin to spread. Using magic comes at a price. You've attained plenty of happiness as a human. Now it is time for you to lose yourself and turn into an ugly monster, the Witch of the Forest whispered to her. However, if you kill the person you love most, you will be freed of your curse and return to the beast you originally were. The princess gazed at her beloved prince as her claws reached for his throat. She loved him more than anything and anyone, but the desire to rip his neck apart welled up inside her. As she desperately tried to clench her fist and stop herself, her claws dug into her own skin, and blood started gushing out. If I kill the prince, I will be free of this curse, with tears streaming down her face. She kissed the prince on the cheek. When the prince woke, the princess was no longer beside him. Instead, the bed was covered in jet black feathers. In profound sadness, the prince searched all across the land for her, but nobody had seen the princess.
The only thing that would have improved that is if, like, Andrew Dice Clay made, like, <laughs> a naughty nursery rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> only way it could have been better. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, a podcast that's profoundly beautiful. This is your host, Mikey, and Zero Two and Hero were in a Frank's making babies, and I saw one of the babies, and the baby looked at me. And with me, as always, is... Oh, God, we're in the final stretch. Ryan, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Some way, somehow, you're still here. Yes, I survived the first half, and now I'm ready to die. And welcome back to Summer of Trigger. And the continuation of our Darling in the Franks podcast. Yep, we're almost there, folks. Uh, we're at the halfway point, and how are you feeling going into this one? I'm already feeling miserable. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know what's on the way. <laughs> oh man, the next part is going to be a trip. <laughs> it's going to be wild, man. Uh, so without beating around the bush, let's get right into it. So kick off with the past. 
Hiro was a successful subject of the Parasite program who easily became friends with his peers. You know, we see how he and Ichigo became friends and how he came up with her name, and soon after he gave names to the rest of the kids, and it's kind of a, you know, kind of a clever naming process. They take their code names and then they kind of use the Japanese uh, words for each number, and then that's how they use it to form the names. Right, they're playing off it a little play bit. A little play on words here. And we even see uh, Hiro make the promise to Mitsuru where they would be pilots together and they would fight in Franks together. The adults don't like this, and Hiro asks why, but they don't give him an answer. They don't even give him an answer about where other kids go after they disappear. They don't answer any of his questions as they're on a need-to-know basis and he doesn't need to know. At one point, Hiro happens to see a girl. The girl with horns. As this is Zero Two, who was an experimental test subject with animal features undergoing painful research into her regenerative abilities. Ugh, fucking child experiments, man. I mean, it was bound to happen in a show like this. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, she had to go through this every day, and, like, the only time she would ever find solace is when she had her picture book, The Beast and the Prince. Hiro was horrified when he discovered her tortured treatment and eventually broke her out of her cell and convinced her to escape with him. And we get some little, uh, get some moments with little Babby Hero and little Babby Zero Two, and it's actually kind of pretty cute, you know? Nice to have some good scenes here after all the serious stuff. At least with uh, these flashbacks, you know, uh, flashing back to these uh, characters when they're, like, young and innocent and cute. I mean, it's it's a change of pace. Yeah, you know, and just, like, seeing how Hiro's, like, trying to communicate with Zero Two, even though she doesn't really know any of the language and kind of speaks in more grunts and kind of almost baby talk, really. Right, right. Soon, little Zero Two began to see a parallel in the storybook and her time with Hiro. The two grow closer and closer during their short time together, and little Hiro promises to always be with little Zero Two. He wants to become her darling. And that's where it came from. This little meeting right here. Zero Two vows to become human and be with him, but they are eventually hunted down and captured by security forces. Their memories were erased, including Hiro's memory of his promise to Mitsuru, leading to his uh, anger with Hiro. However, despite her memory being erased, Zero Two still kind of subconsciously remembered some of the events, mostly that uh, she met a boy when she was younger and he promised to be with her darling, and then that's pretty much like the motivation for her for like the rest of her life. She wanted to like find that boy or find a boy similar to him, you know, just like someone that can like complete her or make her closer to being human. Right, right, a pivotal, pivotal moment. And uh, this, uh, this whole thing is, like, why Zero Two has been, like, acting the way she has at this point in the series. You know, she wanted to reunite with that boy, and she first assumed Hiro was that boy, and she was right, but uh, she began to have doubts since uh, he didn't remember anything about back then or the picture book. Like, that's why she brought up the picture book a few episodes ago and why she was tearing up the library looking for it. She wanted that definitive proof that Hiro was her original darling, but since she couldn't find that proof, she, she started to grow more doubtful and resentful, and she felt that she was only she was losing her only chance of seeing him again and being human. No, but it's a good thing for her that a one in a fucking million chance turned out to be right here. <laughs> <laughs> same exact boy. Yep, same exact boy. Just happened to be, just happened to run into him. <laughs> what are the odds? But it all comes full circle as she and Hiro finally regain their memories. At that moment when she realizes, oh, you actually are, were my darling from back in the day, and then she can, you can just see the immense regret in her face as she's like tearing up and she's just like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Well, I was a little more concerned about a one, one other thing at this point, and that's when, that's when they initially get separated when they're kids, and I meet, and I heard one of the, the adults say to Hiro, have his memories erased, and I'm like, you fucking... <laughs> you're really going to go for the memory wipe angle. Nah, man, you gotta men and black him. Uh, pull up the neuralizer, flashy him, and then that's it. Like, memory wiping, it's... It's it's a trip... It's a tricky 
thing to handle in story writing. It can be very easily abused. And this was like the first indication that I was not going to like its use in the series. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this isn't the only time memory wiping is used in the show. Oh yeah, I'll come back. I'll, I'm gonna put a pin in that. But yeah, Hero like had all his memories wiped, and now he's just got them back now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, because like he and Zero Two connected in Strelitzia, and you know, like once you connect, then you can kind of see into your partner's mind. And just so happened at that moment, he saw the memories of the past. Yes, that was the one flaw in the Franks units that these adults did not see, even though they explicitly put these fucking kids in the Franks themselves, <laughs> <laughs> and probably should have known this stuff already. Yeah, but then again, for the most part, what kind of secrets are these kids going to have anyway? I don't know, maybe stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. What are the or they're, they're gonna learn about they're gonna learn about like uh, I don't know, like uh, like the world out there or something, which they're clearly very secretive about. Maybe that's why Kokoro broke up with Futoshi. You know, she saw into his mind and she realizes, oh god, this guy's super weirdly obsessed with me. I should probably kind of call this off and go with Mitsuru. No, no, let's let's not forgive the writers there on that. They just didn't think about that shit. I don't know. I like to kayfabe it somehow. I, I don't. I don't kayfabe in anime. <laughs> <laughs> but still, like, the whole thing with, like, Hiro and Zero Two, I actually thought this was a great backstory, you know? Yeah, I mean, overall, it's fine enough, even if it is uh, very coincidental. <laughs> yeah. So after the battle, Hiro is hospitalized while Ichigo and the squad forbid Zero Two from seeing him. Ichigo forbidding Zero Two from seeing Hiro, along with other things she does in this episode, is where, uh... This is the whole thing where, like, a lot of the Ichigo hate started to build and build during the uh, initial airing of the series. But, as I said... All the way back then, and as I will say now, Ichigo did nothing wrong. She did absolutely nothing wrong here. Well, yes, I agree. It's just because she was written as a stupid fucking teenager and no. just made a rash decision. No, she's not a stupid fucking teenager. Like, like you're going off based on what she knows at this point. She has every right to keep Zero Two away from Hero. No, she doesn't know about their past. All she knows is that everything she's seen from Zero Two up to this point, and also what she's heard from Nine Alpha, she did nothing wrong. Oh, okay, I'll admit. Okay, fine, I'll retract that. She wasn't stupid or anything, you know. But she did just make, like, a heat-of-the-moment kind of decision that uh, I think uh, is would be very uh, typical of someone in a situation like this. Yeah, well, it's kind of heat of the moment, but at the same time, it's just this whole situation has just been building and building, and there was a point where she was willing to trust zero too but like this kind of like was a straw that broke the camel's back like you had i mean she chance. doesn't have experience with these types of relationship things so yeah she doesn't really know like when the best time is to drop this <laughs> she doesn't know that you gotta wait like a month or two months out or something to drop something like that on someone and also for like the whole thing with like the fans just like really turning on each go here like aside from like there being like a good reason for her to do what she did another reason is the whole thing is like do you guys know how storytelling works? Like, you all know that everything's going to work out in the end. I mean, well, I mean, again, like, I don't think that's a good enough explanation on its own. Because, like, no, a story can go anywhere like that, I think. But, um, uh, no, but, like, it, I, I think this is, like, fine enough as it is right here. I mean, they had to insert it somewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like, you gotta have the conflict, but I'm more so, like, calling out fans, like, getting really, really intense hatred for, for Ichigo, and also, like, even, like, harassing, like, her actors and, like, people who wrote the series. Oh, yeah, online. don't fucking do that. Yeah. Yeah, don't ever fucking do like that. Like I said, like, it's a story, let it play out. Like, you know how storytelling works. Right, right, just fucking let the story go, run its course, okay? You did, like, it's, yeah. And like I said, nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. As Hiro rests, the squad is informed that they will take part in a large-scale operation involving the Nines and squads from various plantations, and that Zero Two will be transferred back to the Nines. Oh wow, we're finally using the Nines. 
Oh, yeah, well, you know, we're halfway through the series. You gotta use them now. Better. <laughs> the squad continues to prevent Zero Two and Hero from meeting, and now I'm wondering why doesn't the rest of the squad get as much hate for this, you know? Just, you know, Ichigo takes the brunt of the hate. I'm sorry, but, like, this was a major sore point for me when the series was airing, and still kind of is. It's like, everyone else is doing the same thing. Like, why don't you why don't you hate on Zurome for blocking off Zero, Zero Two in a room? Again, I'm very I'm very disconnected from that stuff, because it's like I wasn't, like, observing the fandom whatsoever at that time. So it's like, I'm only viewing the series, like, as it is, really. <laughs> so after some convincing, they finally allowed the two to meet. But Hiro's not in his room, as he went looking for Zero Two at the same time. Believing that she is being deceived by the others, Zero Two attacks him and beats the fuck out of the squad here. <laughs> Quite easily, though no, not too hard, like, just immobilizes them. Yeah, you know, just probably gives him, like, a couple of sucker punches to the guts and kind of, like, just throws him into, like, the walls and stuff. Right, right. She, she's not outward, outwardly malevolent. You know, it's like it's like a backstage brawl in WWE. You just throw a few moves, maybe hit your finisher, and since it's outside the ring, it's more devastating, so... And then just leave it at that. Yes, there we go. So when Hiro returns to his room and sees Zero Two's behavior, he reprimands her, calling her a monster. And to be honest, even I'll admit this whole misunderstanding here was a bit contrived. Mm, yeah, it was a bit. Like, I know they want to keep Zero Two and Hero apart until the big reunion and we need to add some more tension, but I feel like they could have found a more kayfabe reasoning to, like, get Hiro out of the room and then, like, have Zero Two snap a bit. Yeah, because he gave her a lot of chances before already, but, like, he just walks in and, like, again, I know what it looks like, but, like, it doesn't sync up very well, whereas before he was pretty on her side, but then it's, like... Now he's, like, like just calling her a monster. And also the whole thing with, like, Hiro just so happening to leave right as the squad's like, okay, we'll let you see him, and then he's not there, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, really, could have just, like, waited just a little bit longer, or, like, found another way to, like, get him, like, separated or something. Yeah, and then lead to the moment where, like, he calls her a monster. Yeah. So Zero Two believes that this is her punishment for her past deeds, and accepts that she must leave his side. As the operation is about to begin, Zero Two leaves the dorm to rejoin the Nines. But just as when Hiro decides to go after her, Ichigo holds him back and with a kiss and confesses her feelings for him. And okay, I will say maybe the kiss in the convention was a bit much, but I kind of get where she's coming from here. Mm. You know, she's just desperate at this point. You know, Hiro was just like, oh, you're a monster, but then it was kind of like, on second thought, maybe not. And she was just like, dude, just stop. Please right. stay with me. Again, nothing wrong. And also one thing I want to kind of point out here, you notice how, like, uh, at this point, Zero Two's horns have been kind of growing bigger and bigger at this time? It uh, kind of reminds me of a similar thing in Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain, where in the game, if you're, like, basically evil or, like, do a lot of bad things, lose heroism points, uh, the horn on uh, Big Boss's head actually grows bigger and bigger. <laughs> I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, I didn't know that either because I usually do missions pretty well. Not to toot my own horn. Wait, in the game, isn't it actually like a piece of shrapnel? Yeah, just a piece of shrapnel, but it actually grows bigger and bigger the more evil you are. It's not just getting, like, pushed out of the head or anything? No, nah, it's growing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the same thing that's happened with Zero Two here. She's losing heroism points, and that's why her horns are getting bigger. Good old subtle Kojima. <laughs> He's got those good ideas. I mean, Hideo Kojima is about as subtle as the people who worked on this show. <laughs> He probably would love this. Uh, uh, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> so, let's bring this arc to a close here, as Hiro stays behind while the rest of the squad takes part in the operation against the massive Klaxosaur horde on the Grand Crevasse. Zero Two in Strelitzia Stampede Mode leads the charge along with the Nines against the Klaxosaurs, and we get to see more of the uh, other pilots in their boring, bland Frank designs. 
Like, you know, imagine, like, it's in a kayfabe reason they don't get specifically special design Franks because Squad 13's the special unit, but shoot reason they just didn't want to design more <laughs> Yeah, Franks. like, they, they just wanted to keep all the designs on the main characters. You know, they used all their uh, creativity on uh, designing, like, our squad's Franks, you know? Like, it took a lot of creativity thinking of a robot with pigtails and pinstripe knee highs. But it's the same thing with, like, the Nines, though, too, because uh, the the main one, voiced by Briner, has, like, is the only one with any kind of personality. <laughs> yeah, aside from two other Nines, but they don't talk as much. Yeah, they, like, they, they, like, they didn't give a shit at all about giving them any kind of personalities or anything. <laughs> also, another thing about the Nines, like, only, like, five of them actually talk, and there's actually three girls in their group that actually kind of have, like, muzzles on there. They don't even say anything. Yeah, they don't say shit or anything. That was kind of really weird. I know, it's another one of those ideas that, like, and, like, yeah, for the rest of the series, like, they don't have any, like, defined personalities out of that main one. It's, ugh, it's like another thing they just completely, another idea they completely throw out the window an element here. I bet they kind of had an idea early on where it's like, oh, this group of, like, nine uh, Franks pilots that are similar to Zero Two, like, this is gonna be cool, and, like, we'll design this guy, and they kind of I bet they got like halfway through the character designs and then they're just kind of like eh it's good enough just make the rest kind of generic yeah or maybe they wanted to put their focus more on like the main characters and like later men wanted to put more focus on them later in the series so they had to make cutbacks to other characters I don't know mm-hmm. yeah we'll we'll get into some of the production issues a little bit later yeah oh and uh since we're talking about the nines here and their franks so uh, we see how they pilot and it's a bit different than how uh, the main squad pilots here where uh it's reversed. The guys are in the pistol position where the girls are in the stamen position. Ooh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're into pegging. <laughs> Not gonna king shame. So the human forces appear to be defeating the Klaxosaurus until a giant super layman class Klaxosaur, which looks like a cross between a sand crawler from Star Wars and US Bank Stadium, emerges and completely destroys Plantation 26. So I'm sorry, it just destroyed an entire plantation? Yeah, rammed its big horn into it and just blew it up. So, like, hundreds upon thousands of people are dead. Yeah, they're fucking dead. Fucking gone. Yeah. It's so unceremonious in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Like, hundreds fucking die. And they don't dedicate a single frame of animation to showing any of those people dying. Uh, You know, the the adults don't matter in the show, as we've seen. But, like, these are the people they're trying to defend. You're trying to, like, give some, like, fuck it. You're trying to make the characters care about this shit. I mean, we still have, like, shots of Squad 26 going, like, that's our home. They it killed our home, you know? How about show some actual fucking people who are dying in that nah, moment? Nah, there's no time. It, it just gets wiped off the map, and, like, the show is just like, oh, our go- like, the thing we're supposed to protect is gone. Oh, better try and protect the next thing. <laughs> Never mind the fact that, like, hundreds of thousands of people died. I mean, they still get over the whole situation and stuff. Like, it still gets over that the monster is still devastating. No, uh, again, you need... It's missing that, like, human sacrifice, though. Do you want to see a dude get crushed by a giant building? Yes, something? you can show something to make you empathize. Eh. <laughs> <sighs> so, in an attempt to halt its progress, the members of Squad 26 are ordered to make a suicide assault on the creature, but fail, and the monster starts towards Plantation 13. The squad and company are on the ropes until Hiro decides not to hesitate anymore and joins in on the fight. He gets some extra motivation from returning to Zero Two's room in Mistletane and sees that she fixed the broken mirror before she left. And uh, one thing I kind of like about this is that uh, the way he jumps into battle, he, he jumps into battle with like the little fucking training unit. Like, I kind of I dig that. Okay, yeah, that was a little nice. And also something that uh, uh, fans actually predicted early on in the series, like when they saw Hiro uh, training with the training unit, some people were 
most people online were thinking like, ah, oh, he's going to fight with that one day. Mm, most likely. Mm. Well, they were right. So with Ichigo's help, he reaches Zero Two aboard Strelitzia. And also, shout out to Goro being a total bro once again as he lets Hiro pilot with Ichigo en route to Zero Two. That way the two can connect mentally and then she can finally understand and accept Hiro's feelings for Zero Two. What a bro. So they reach Zero Two and I will splicey in their reunion and the finish to this big battle. matter anymore, okay? But I... I called you fodder! How could you ever forget me for saying and that? And I called you a monster, remember? So now we're even. That's right. I am a monster. That's why No, I... it's not! We gotta talk it out! You and I have to think it through! There must be places we have to go. Our journey begins now! Surely this world is much, much larger! Larger than we can imagine! We couldn't do it back then, but this time, I know we can! Let's see the outside world together! Zero Two. Together we are one! How much longer, Hito? Did it? Silencia! Zero two! Darling! Zero two! We need to destroy that dome. Think we can? If we're together, of course! Well then, shall we get going too? has been opened. The day of humanity's liberation is upon us. 
Vishan, also known as the bird that shares wings. Only possesses one wing. Unless a male and female pair lean on each other and act as one. They're incapable of flight. They're imperfect, incomplete creatures. But, but to me... To me, their way of life... struck me as... profoundly beautiful. So, what do you think of this uh, big finale here for this uh, for this arc? Uh, well, it does feel properly big. I mean, I'll give it that. I mean, there's lots of death. There's lots of destruction. Um, I mean, you know, there's the big crying moments and whatnot. I mean, it all feels fine. Animation-wise, it's still the fucking same as before. <laughs> nothing to wow me, but nothing to underwhelm me. It's just perfectly bland. It's just perfectly okay. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 fine. <laughs> okay, I'm probably gonna go a little harder here because I fucking love this. Like hero and Zero I mean, if you're invested in these characters, then yes, which I am, which I'm marginally. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I really love this. Yeah, like hero and Zero Two's reunion, Zero Two's remorsefulness for what she's done to him, Trilitia transforming and getting a, getting a sick new red paint job, which unfortunately doesn't stick, which kind of sucks. Yeah, it doesn't come up again. What was with that? Yeah, just really weird it's like they finally understand each other so it's like they could have like stuck it around you know it's yeah. like and it's just a different color scheme really that's it but i really like it big old all red everything's trilitia yeah it's not like it's really out of place compared to the others either it's like not too spectacular i mean it's it's like ryuko matui's uh you know it's like senkets before and after like it's it, there's not much of like an addition or anything yeah whatever i'm still gonna buy a figure of it probably <laughs> And also the big finish with, like, the OP playing in Hiro and Zero Two calling out each other's names and proclaiming their love. It's it's so good. It's a really, really good finale and, like, a perfect way to mark the high point of the series before things start to start to take a turn. So all's well that ends well. However, the Super Layman's cores are still active and about to explode when a colossal giant fucking hand emerges from the Grand Crevasse, retrieves the cores, and astonishingly spares the lives of the squad and the rest of Plantation 13 by just smushing it with its big, giant monster hand. Doesn't smush the plantation, just barely, barely misses. Yeah, it hits, like, the, the cores, smushes that, but just, like, misses Plantation 13 between its two fingers. And then it drags itself back into the ground. And it's back to the ground. I really wanted some faint voice to yell out somewhere. Ha! Ah! You missed! <laughs> uh, so yeah, this this right here, this is the high point of Darling in the Franks, because after this episode, the series starts to go downhill a bit. Oh, I, I agreed. Like, I could have maybe reasonably said, like, it was still fine up to this point. Um, you know, even beyond what I said before at the uh, halfway point, but... No, like, after this, there's a marked drop in quality going forward. And we'll get into it as we cover the rest of this part. There is so much to get into. Like, I know you'll have plenty of criticisms for the part of the series, and I will admit, you're 100% valid. Like I said before, you're not wrong. So let's get to it already. <laughs> uh, but first, I, I want to talk a bit about the uh, the production issues, because this is where they really started to come into play. Mm. So this is the point in the production where Trigger and uh, Cloverworks slash A1 started to have issues when it came to the story and where to take it. Apparently, like, uh, you know, Trigger had some ideas and they had some storyboards, but, like, uh, Cloverworks and A1 would just keep rejecting them and rejecting them. And, you know, just, like, they... Seems like they were the ones kind of pretty much taking over the story at this point, and I guess it kind of makes sense because, like, a lot of the bigger... The higher-ups of Trigger, they were too busy with other projects, so this is kind of like you're working with the C-team from Trigger here. And Cloverwork, um, 
What are some of their previous works? Like, I'm not too familiar with that name. Oh, The Promised Neverland. Promised Neverland. Man. What, anything else aside from that? It can't just be Promised Neverland, is it? Are they really that new? They are pretty new because, like, uh, they kind of separated from A1 pictures actually during the airing of Darling in the Franks. Like, this is actually the point where they became Cloverworks. Oh, okay. So, wow, really that soon? Yeah, but uh, I guess I'm going to list off some of their other shows that they did. They did uh, Persona 5, the animation, uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, which I hear is good, but I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, they do like that uh, Millionaire Detective, which I also hear is good, but haven't seen it. Okay, so I can redact, I can redact that earlier comment. They have done stuff. Yeah, and also, like, uh, A1 in general, like, they generally do pretty good stuff. Right, right. Oh, yeah, A1, like, typically puts out good stuff. Yeah, and, like, they're kind of like a kind of like a big dog in sort of, like, the animation world in Japan, too. Yeah, of course, but Cloverwork, though, um, yeah, uh, still pretty new, I guess. Yeah, but still, this is, like, definitely around the time of, like, the production of Gridman and Promare, so, like, it could be that they were trying to focus more on, like, the Trigger was trying to focus more on those works and, like... Again, their C team was probably, like, just kind of getting outranked by uh, Cloverworks and A1. Okay, now once you know that, that can honestly explain a lot of what happens going forward, that there wasn't a unified, clear vision going forward. However, I'm not gonna, I am not gonna back down in any oh, way. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> that is not an excuse for what happens next. Yeah, and also I should mention that, like, if you look up on the Wikipedia page for, like, Darling in the Franks, if you look at the episodes, you can actually see which specific episodes were handled by A1 and Cloverworks and Trigger. And then after this point in the series, it's just Cloverworks, Cloverworks, Cloverworks for the rest of the series. Ooh, that's not a good sign. Yeah, just like barely any Trigger to be found. Mmm, that, that, that's very telling. And like, I feel like at this point in the series, like, they should have just stopped right here. Like, this should have been the end of the season, and it feels like an ending. And then you can have, like, the cliffhanger with the big giant hand, and then they should have, like, picked it up back maybe a year later. That way they could have worked out the production issues they ended up having. I, I, I do agree that maybe if they took, like, a break at this point, or maybe abridged the story in some way to where they could take a break at an earlier point or something, maybe they could have had more time to conceive of a uh, better conclusion to the series. However, I would argue a lot of the foundation they laid before was kind of an unavoidable conversation or like steering them steering them in a certain direction that they couldn't really avoid and where they couldn't really avoid certain uh, pitfalls of the writing. I feel like they could have possibly have saved it because like if they waited about a year then like by that point uh, Trigger would have been done with Gridman and would have probably been in post-production for Promare so they could have potentially brought in some of the staff from those projects onto this and they could have like worked out a lot of the kinks. Well, I'm also me talking in terms of theming as well, because some of the earlier themes they were going to, it feels, it felt like they were going to touch on, and they then proceed to touch on, it feels like things they were already kind of gunning for. Time for a cooldown, as after a big battle, life returns to some form of normalcy. Well, as normal as you get in this world, anyway. A month has already passed while the squad waits for their next orders, and during this time, they have to fend for themselves while only receiving food supplies once a week. You see that they have to live off basically calorie mates from Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> <laughs> like military MRE meals. Yeah, and it has like beans and crusty brand imitation gruel. Hey, some of those MRE can actually be pretty decent. Yeah, I I've heard some good things about some uh, rations and stuff like that. I've heard some of them can actually produce a pretty good potato zogron. Ooh. Yeah. 
Need to call up a paramedic and kind of get, like, the information on all this food here. <laughs> Snake, I hear that the uh, calorie mates are very popular amongst geisha girls in Japan. They make them feel very thin, but also give them, like, a full stomach to get them through the entire day. Huh, sounds pretty good. I better try this later. Better than eating all this damn jungle food. <laughs> then he eats one, and he's like, that's damn good. <laughs> It should just be like a reviewer for MRE or something. <laughs> <laughs> and also while this is going on, Zorame makes it through the days relying on his unwavering belief that Papa and the other adults will come through. And uh, while we don't see it, I would like to think that every night just Zorame is just kind of curled up in his room in the fetal position going like, Papa is coming, Papa is coming. Papa's coming. He'll give us food, water, and smite our enemies. He is kind of like Barton Camp Krusty around this area. <laughs> you know, he's just like talking to Miku, and she's all like, I feel like we're going to die, Zorame. We're all going to die, Miku. I meant soon. So did I. <laughs> During this time, Mitsuru goes through a bit of a change made evident by him having Kokoro cut his hair. And he got the same hairstyle as uh, when he was a uh, little babby, you know, kind of his, uh, kind of his almost shitty Supercuts hairstyle he got here. I mean, where else are you going to get a really fine, a, a good stylist in this apocalypse? Yeah, and also our apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And also during this, Kokoro gives him a big smooch. And uh, I like to think while this is happening, Fuchoshi just, like, minding his own business, just, like, was just going like, ah, da, 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 da. Ah! just grabs his heart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to care about this character because the show certainly doesn't. I still care about Fuchoshi. You know, he's a big, cuddly little love muffin. <laughs> Everything seems well, and it's actually nice to see the squad bonding like this after all that's happening to them. You know, stuff, them just hanging out outside of fights. And also, Ichigo finally accepts Zero Two as a member of the squad. She likes her now. Suck it, Ichigo haters. Fuck it, suck it, suck it, suck it. You can't see it, but I'm crotch shopping right now. Yeah, got, got, got over it pretty quickly. Though, not everything is well. Zorome and Futoshi begin to break, and then the rest of the squad just sit and wonder where the adults are and why they abandoned them. And it looks like the adults are intentionally doing this as part of an experiment led by Dr. Frank's Papa and the Seven Sages. It's all part of a big grand scheme. Though part of me likes to think that uh, they're just kind of doing this just to fuck with them. Just like, hey, hey guys, what if what if we just like ignore the kids for a while? You know, we just we just we just don't call them and we just like let them wait it out. It'd be, it'd be great. It'd be great. What the fuck kind of control experimenting is this? They automatically switch them to a control group or some shit <laughs> halfway through or something. This isn't experimenting. It's just fucking with your subjects. I mean, they just want to see how like they survive by themselves without any help. I don't know. Throughout all this, the adults like don't come across as very well realized characters. No, the adults point. suck in the show. No, not not at all. What's not at all? They they all suck entirely. <laughs> we got trouble. Oh, we got trouble right here in Mistletane, right here, with the capital T, which rhymes with P, which stands for punk-ass nines. And they're just pretty much here to just show up and taunt the squad, going like, Oh yeah, Papa's super worried about the about you guys. He doesn't want to see you, but uh, he sends his regards, you know. Like, we, we hang out with him, but, uh, you know, just, just doesn't want to be around you. Such an excuse to get the nines in here, to, like, have them interact with the team. <laughs> Although, wasn't the... Oh, but yeah, like, uh, some of the writing around here is even a little dodgy. Well, isn't there, like, a moment where, um... Isn't there a moment where Zorame calls out Futoshi about uh, some sort of implied anorexia or something? Yeah, like uh, Futoshi is kind of losing kind of the will to eat at this point. Yeah, no, 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 it's not the will to eat. He specifically says that he's throwing up his meals. And I'm like, where did that come from? 
I, but, like, they never, like, imply it or anything. They don't show him, like, going, leaving the bathroom or anything, like, looking, like, emaciated or, like, uncomfortable or anything. Well, Zora Maid brings it up earlier in the episode, and, like, he just says, oh, I'm uh, on a diet. Well, and barely, but it's, like, but, like, we don't see anything even implying that or anything. It's, like, again, you don't need to show him actually vomiting into a toilet or anything, but, like, they could have done more. It felt so, like out of nowhere <laughs> it's like he doesn't and he doesn't look any any different from what he was before he's not like lethargic or anything he doesn't have any of the symptoms it's like they didn't even fucking look up like what an anorexic person even like uh how, how an anorexic person actually acts or anything what kind of behavior they kind of exhibit you know the telltale signs mm-hmm. it's 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 really badly handled yeah and it's just a moment to serve for Zorome to like get on futoshi's ass to, like, try and give Futoshi something here. Oh, and by the way, of course, something, some some sort of damage he has to deal with, or, like, some sort of problem he has to deal with, of course it has to deal with what he eats. Because he's the fat one. He's fat! He's the fat one, so it's like, of course it's a problem with how he eats, not about how he, like, feels, or how he is as a person. That really pissed me off. You're not wrong. I know I'm not! <laughs> and you keep saying that! I know. You're not wrong. <laughs> but I just feel it's like meant to just like build up the tension and lead up to like that breaking point where they're just like struggling to wonder like where the adults are. And, like, they could have done something better. They could have done something yeah. better. Ugh. But we have more problems on the way. So later that night, Zero Two and Hiro have a moment, and it's revealed that Hiro's actually growing horns like Zero Two. He's got like little uh, blue horns underneath the. Uh, his bangs here. He's gonna need to learn some filing techniques from Zero Two. Uh, probably a side effect from him ingesting her blood when he was little. And sure took a while to take effect. I, I guess maybe because they're like connecting better now. Maybe it's like advancing that. Kind of like how the tumor receded. Mm-hmm. It's in line with the tumor, but the tumor isn't in line with anything before that. So it's like, it's like whatever. It's already all out of this whole lore concerning the tumor and like the blood is already all out of whack so whatever maybe the tumor became the horns like when it retracted into his body it then kind of like went up to his forehead and then started to grow the horns maybe but didn't the other pilots before have tumors as well yeah but like uh like it didn't grow back into them because they zero two didn't accept them so that's why it killed them since, since zero two accepted hero and the hero accepted her then the tumor receded and then turned into the horns so maybe the tumor was meant to turn into horns all the time for the past partners but, like, the show doesn't care to explain any of this, so it's like we're only left to wonder. Nah, we just gotta have, uh, we need to get, uh, Red Oni, Blue Oni in for some reason in the show. Yeah, for some reason. But hey, now he can, uh, he can be like, uh, Rem and Ron from ReZero, be demonically inspired. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kokoro bumps into one of the Nines and actually drops her baby book in front of her. And then the Nines, like, look up that book later on, and they don't like it. Not one bit. All of this, this filth. Is what is this shit?! Babies and babas, <laughs> binkies and cribs, <laughs> rattles and little prams, giving them toys. This this is not state approved reading material. <laughs> oh, who who showed you all this this pornography? Who who gave you this sedition? <laughs> I'm glad we had that fun moment because what happens next is not fun. You're not wrong. But uh, though before the Nines can act on this discovery, the following day we get a scene between Kokoro and Mitsuru, and Kokoro suddenly pretty horny. Yeah. Like, she's meant to be the sweet one, but seeing her be so forward with this is kind of weird. Well, again, going back to the point, they, they, they don't know a whole lot about, like, courtship or anything. Yep. Yeah. No, he's just all like, Kokoro, what are you doing? 
making your dreams come true. Now let's get naked. <laughs> ah! I mean, they do at least sell the uncomfortableness of her, like, un- of, like unclasping his jacket, and then he just recoils. You I know, mean, that, that was at least realistic. The baby book didn't teach her anything about consent. Yeah, it taught her all the wrong things. You know, like, I know, I know she's curious about making babies and all this stuff, but she could have at least talked to him first before jumping right into it. Point is, I don't like the idea of Kokoro being horny. Oh god, could you even imagine how much worse it would be if it was like a pickup artist book she found? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, who knows? Maybe, maybe there was like, maybe there was like a foreword in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> Only place I can imagine in there. Imagine it in there. Like, uh, there's, uh, remember when, uh, our good friend JP of, uh, Dead Rat Pizza, he did like a podcast where he talked about this website called, uh, fuckanygirl.com. Oh my god, I <laughs> listened to that. Yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's good just hearing JP riff on this shitty ass website. And so I'm thinking, like, what if, like, there's another version of this, but it's, like, fuckanyboy.com, and then, like, that's where Kokoro found a book based all around that. <laughs> or even, I don't know, even better, even worse, or whatever. Probably even worse. Like, uh, what if she found, like, say, a videotape in a VCR, and that videotapes that shitty fucking uh, hypnotizing video from Best of the Worst? <laughs> oh, God, no. The sexual hypnosis video. Yeah, just like, oh, God, this, this is sexual assault. No, no. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, thankfully, Zuromay interrupts before they get busy. And he gets a line here where he says, Are you two going to stick your bodies together like Hiro and Zero Two? And, like, I thought about that line for a bit, and I'm just thinking, Does that imply that, Zer- that Zuromay has walked in on Zero Two and Hiro in the throes of relations? Yeah. No, he just, like, walks into the room and just goes, Hi, Karamba! <laughs> <laughs> Later on, Mitsuru and Hiro have a nice moment together. Hey, Hiro, Kokoro was trying to fuck me. By the way, what does fuck mean? <laughs> well, no, they just have, like, a nice little talk where they finally reconcile, and Hiro looks to give him the motivation to possibly pursue something further with Kokoro, saying that uh, they're very similar to how Hiro and Zero Two act. At least, that's how he understands it. And here, here we go, here we go. <laughs> just get to it. Afterwards, the Nines confront Kokoro about the baby book. Kokoro then confesses that she wants to have a baby. And it's this point where part of me wanted Kokoro to explain in detail to the squad where babies came from because they wonder how this would work, but because throughout their lives they've been under the impression that Papa made them, and that's it, so. That's how the conversation could have had. In another universe, we could have just had a moment where she's hilariously explaining to them all how a baby is made. And you just watch a bunch of uncomfortable teenagers get the talk. So guys, the way this works is when a man and a woman love each other very much, they, and then just like pass by time, and then the man pushes off with his arms and for, pushes on with his legs, and then pass more times like, then things are going to get pretty slick, so you need to have a little something, some kind of lubricant to kind of get things going there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but Kokoro suggests that they may not be creations of Papa and exist more than fighting Klaxosaurs, you know? She wants to leave an imp, leave a mark on this world, and that's why she wants to make a baby and bring some new life in this world, something that's outside of fighting Klaxosaurs. But the Nine say that's bullshit. No, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and die. No, don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. And babies in love are forbidden. Your focus is to pilot giant fighting robots to kill underground dinosaur monsters. The nine specifically get on their get on the their cases about uh, worrying about like such stuff about like gender and whatnot. And then Ikono ends up slapping the nine. For, like, uh, for daring to imply that, like, uh, the the female gender is, like, invalid or something. 
But it's all worded very, like, strangely. Yeah. As if, like, where, like, they're putting so much... They're putting so much emphasis here on, like, the the male-female dichotomy and just throwing the entire gender spectrum out the window with this one conversation. And this was, like... This was one of the most uncomfortable points in the entire series. Because this was one of, like, the card... This was one of the hand-showing moments of the series. Because you had Kokoro before talking about how she wanted to leave an, a print on this world by having a baby of all things. Even though before this we saw that she had a garden that she tended to and that she had a hobby. And, but she's putting so much emphasis on wanting to have a baby here. You've got the nines uh, denouncing uh, gender fluidity. And then you've got Ikuno standing up for like... Uh, like, uh, females, but not, like, you know, like, gender fluidity or anything. <laughs> really only caring about, like, males and females. It's, like, this is where, like, it, uh, Darlene and the Franks really began to show its, uh, quite frankly, kind of conservative hand. I mean, this, the, the series is so heteronormative. Yeah. It is so goddamn heteronor- heteronormative. And it just, <laughs> it really got me legitimately angry. It's like, are you really fucking going there? Is is that really, darling? Is that what you fucking believe? You're playing that hand in modern Japan right now. Really? I was fucking angry. Yeah, like, I remember the scene causing a lot of stir online when it first aired. And the thing is, uh, the dub actually tries to kind of word it a bit better. Like, in the subversion, it was actually kind of, like, much more problematic. Oh, no. And it still doesn't work. They still couldn't... No, you can't, like, hide bigotry like that. No, you really can't. No, it's... It's wow. Like, it is... It's, like, fucking wow. I, like... I did not think Darlene was gonna go there. And part of me at least wants to believe that it wasn't intentional. Like, it could just because, like... Again, we talked about, you talked about, like, how, like, you don't give these writers a lot of credit, so part of me wants to not give them credit, thinking, like, okay, this is what they actually believe, and they're just, like, they just don't know anything, but then again, you know, ignorance is just as bad as also being very big, being bigoted, too, so. Either way, it's, mm-hmm. it's awful, it's awful. Yeah, this scene just is really, really not great. But this is just, like, but this is, like, an overarching theme in the series, which makes me think, Oh, no, this probably wasn't, like, by accident or anything, or, like, a miswrite. No, like, some someone on the creative team probably did legit believe all this shit. And that could be relating to, like, Trigger kind of leaving the show at this point, because we've seen in the past Trigger doing very well with kind of, like, more inclusive stories for, like, you know, with, like, introducing, like, some kind of queer characters, and especially as we'll soon see in Promare, but, like, if they were still around, maybe they could have fixed it, but since they're not around, and that's probably, like, how Cloverworks and A1 were able to, like, get to this that's the one question i have in my mind like who is responsible for this writing here like who specifically like wanted to swing it in this direction like i feel if trigger were still around they probably would have been able to at least make this somewhat better i i don't know if they were in for this kind of story by the beginning i think someone on trigger must have been okay with this i don't know like i feel trigger had some other ideas for the show and like it goes back to like them getting like storyboards and story pitches rejected throughout the series so maybe they had some other ideas that weren't what this became i i i don't know dude i don't know it would require further investigation that will be and it's really hard looking up some information on this because everyone's been kind of mum on this yeah, like, there's there's not been a whole lot of, like, like ever since the series ended, it's, it's word's been kind of mum on it. Like, the only time you ever hear anything is, like, say, at uh, Anime Expo panel or, like, another 
convention panel where folks at Trigger were all like, yeah, we just wrapped up on Darling in the Franks. It was an experience. But now we're moving on to another thing. Well, you even also run the risk of like them just like uh, just completely, you know, throwing you to the side with your question or giving you a non-answer as well. Yeah, it's just like it just seems like both studios are kind of like under some NDAs or something like that. You'd have to get ri- you'd have to anything. get writers in a room with a journalist in order to find the answer. Really, right? Ugh, it's it's so frustrating. Yeah. So let's move on from this problematic stuff as we see two of the seven sages come face to face with. The Claxosaur Princess, played here by Lucy Christian, Under the Depths of the Earth. The fuck? Yeah, man. Claxosaur Princess. A princess? Yep, of Claxosaurs. There's a princess at the center of all this, and we're just now learning about her? Hey, man, where do you think that huge fist came from? A fucking monster, not a fucking princess. The princess controls the monster. Literally, they call her a princess. Like, fucking what? Maybe she doesn't feel like being the queen, you know? She feels comfortable with being the princess. (laughs) <laughs> Come on. Just now we're introducing a princess in the series. Maybe that's what the adults call her, you know. Uh, uh. <laughs> Whatever. They made they made a, a a horned princess that looks remarkably similar to Zero Two, surrounded by giant snake beans as uh, they try to uh, ca- uh, appeal to her. Yes, they come to ask, ask her for her surrender, and she gives her answer by killing them. And uh, noticeably, one of the sages that gets killed doesn't have a physical body. Mm-hmm. So later that night, Mitsuru goes to see Kokoro, and he fully reciprocates her feelings. And then, he rounds for space, makes it to the second, rounds third. He might just go all the way. Home run, Mitsuru! It's probably the most awkward, like, first-time sex ever. Oh, God, like, uh, I know, like, they have the baby book, and that kind of tells them, like, how things work, but it's it's not the Kama Sutra. They don't have any moves in there. <laughs> <laughs> They just get it in, they're all like, when's the, when's the magic happen? <laughs> he just, he just, like, sits there in, like, a doggy position going, like, uh, is it working? Are yet? we in the wrong position? Maybe, maybe I should lay on my back? Yeah, 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 let's, let's, let's try that. Well, we didn't see it was, like, the 30 different positions they tried, <laughs> where, like, no movement is involved whatsoever. <laughs> just standing there, like, stone statues, just his hands on her hips, just kind of there, and just, like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but but apparently it was good because the next day, like the next day, that he's just kind of like they have like the both the morning glow, just like ah, that was that was quite the night. Meanwhile, at Ape, Papa discusses his plans to wipe out all Claxosaurs when the Nines appear with news from Mistletane. Hey, Papa, your precious squad is talking about sex and making babies. Let's screw them over. So after this, Ichigo is informed by Hachi that the squad is about to be transferred from Mistletane to a special facility where the rest of the parasites are stationed. With their time at Mistletane coming to a close, Hiro decides the best way to close out their time here is with a wedding ceremony for Kokoro and Mitsuru. And even Futoshi even offers to be the one to marry them. And, uh, you know, watching the scene kind of reminds me how, like, Barnby kind of wants to become, like, an ordained minister just just for shits and giggles. Really? Really? Yeah. Well, what, yeah, because what do you have to go through to really Apparently it's pretty easy. You just, like, fill out a form online, pay a fee, and then, bam. You can legally marry people. You can legally marry people. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. That kind of would be fun or something. Like, someone immediately gets, uh, like, uh, proposed to or something, and you just come out of nowhere, like, I'm an ordained minister. (laughs) And they're all like, "Uh, please get out of (laughs) here. Is there a minister in the house? That's me. (laughs) But nah, it's apparently super easy, and hey, could come in handy one day. (laughs) 
Like, I mean, it's a fun, it's a fun idea. Just being able to like marry, having that power to marry anyone on the spot. Yeah, just like I kind of actually mulled over it a bit during the quarantine. Just like, huh, I got nothing better to do. What if I become an ordained minister? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> someday, someday. Meanwhile, before the wedding, Ichigo visits Ikuno, who is recovering from a fever. And then Ikuno finally confesses most of us already implied about her. And I'll splice you in the scene. Ikuno, are you awake? Still feeling under the weather? Do you have a fever? You don't have to worry. It's nothing like that. Listen, during the time the Nines were visiting, did something happen? I never seen you get so angry. At least, not like that before. Nothing, really. Uh, sorry. I know it's rude of me to pry, but I get it. If that didn't make us mad, then it's hard to imagine anything would. Anyway, I appreciate you doing that for Kokoro and Mitsuru. You're wrong. I didn't do it for them. Then why did you? You want to know? Are you really that interested in me? Ikuno, what? At that moment, I was thinking the same thing as the Nines. And when I slapped Alpha, it was in order to hide that fact. What do you mean, the same thing? Franks can only be operated by a boy and a girl. And I've always wished that stupid system would just go to hell forever. Ikuno. But you know what I realized? As much as I find it a pain, I wouldn't be myself if I refused to acknowledge it. You wouldn't be who you are without it. And I would hate that. So... <laughs> what is wrong with me? My feelings are such a mess. Your feelings? Ichigo, I love you. Why me? Of all people. Because you're the one who gave me my name. I got it, Ikuro. <laughs> That's so weird. Remember how everyone tried to follow in Hito's footsteps and started giving each other names? No. <laughs> Her name's Ikuno. Good? I bet you think it's a silly reason. But... Ever since that day back then, I've only had eyes for you. You changed your hair clip a while ago, didn't you? Yeah. I noticed these kinds of things about you. Did you lose the old one? Or is this from a certain somebody? I'm a creep, aren't I? I mean, I get so jealous of the boys who get to stand beside you because they're boys and I'm not. I want to keep you all to myself. That's so selfish. It's a pain, right? Why am I like this? Why am I? <laughs> I hate being like this. <laughs> oh, I see. She's just like I used to be. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a pain. In fact, I'm a pretty big one myself. We all are. Complicated, difficult pains. But you know, 
I've started thinking that it's actually alright for us to be this way. I get the feeling that going through this stuff and having these experiences is what life is supposed to be all about. You know, I probably won't be able to give up very easily. I don't often accept no. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Ichigo, thank you. What do you think of the scene? Because I have a feeling that you're probably not going to say much good things about it. Uh, w well, again, it's like, again, we got to talk about the long run mm -hmm. and how this is handled. In the scene, Ikeno reveals to uh, Ichigo that she is uh, a, a lesbian, or, or as far as we know, you know, because they don't, like, go into much further detail about it. Yeah, we don't know if she's bi or pan or anything right, else. Right, or anything yeah. like that, so mm -hmm. we're just only left to assume that she's, like, a lesbian or something, and Ichigo... Uh, consoles her at the very least and tells her that like you know it's it's completely fine this is who you are um you know this Ikeno is the only gay like LGBT character in the entire series this is the only time it is ever it is ever fucking comes up only time it ever comes up in this one episode never comes up ever again they are not even fucking interested in following up on that like for me on the one hand in a vacuum, just by itself, if you just watch the scene, I think it's really good. Like, I appreciate that while Ichigo doesn't feel the same way about Ikano, she, she still tells her that there's nothing wrong with her feeling this way and that her feelings are valid. You know, Ichi Ikano shouldn't hate herself for feeling this way and feeling jealous when Ichigo's around other boys. You know, she tells her that it's alright to be a girl in love with another girl. And also, Leah Clark's acting super on point here. But on the other hand, like you said, there's no real follow-up to the scene. It felt... It just, like, felt like they just wanted to wrap up Ikuno's subplot and just move on. Yeah, it falls completely flat, especially considering that the series is way fucking more interested in the heterosexual relationships, gives way more time to those, and gives her nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just like, okay, she's gay. That's the end of that chapter. <laughs> it almost feels like they, they, they went for this move with her just to, like, just to, like, avoid any accusations that the series is homophobic. You know, like, this This is the equivalent of, like, some uh, bigoted conservative saying, like, what? I got gay friends. What? Our story is not homophobic. Look, we have one gay character. <laughs> <laughs> and I... you should see how exactly we fuck her up in the long run. Yeah. Again, not wrong. But I feel like if this relates back to the whole, to the whole like, uh, separation between Trigger and Cloverworks, because, like, I wonder if Trigger had bigger plans for this. But since the second half is mostly done by Cloverworks, they just probably decided they didn't want anything to do with it, get it over with, and just move on. Oh, my God. It's, 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 it's really despicable. <laughs> like, I feel Trigger would have done this well, because... As we've seen, and as we will see, Trigger does have at least a decent and good track record with handling, you know, LGBT characters. Uh, well, I would argue they could be better, but, like, you know, like, they they don't shy away from it or anything. Yeah, like, they they proudly put it in whenever it shows up. Right, right, but he, here, it's, 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 again, it's like, I don't know who, whose decision it was to really completely drop this here. And furthermore, I don't know whose decision it was to really send it crashing down into a car fire later on. <laughs> but uh, again, it again you would have to like relate it would more than likely relate all back to that uh really problematic writing before, you know. Mm -hmm. It's uh, not sure just don't know who the source is for this. I still think it's Cloverworks because like the writing didn't get this problematic when it was still Cloverworks and Trigger. It could it could possibly be potentially, but again, we don't know for sure. I don't know. 
And anyway, like, anyway, fuck Ikano. We're on to the wedding. Yeah, like this is why I say Ikano is the one member of the squad that gets the shaft in the series. Ugh. And uh, also another thing to add with uh, Ikano getting the shaft. You know, throughout this whole thing, we uh, have like a big, a bit of a redemption arc for Mitsuru. You know, where he starts off in the series as like this huge asshole, then he kind of starts to hook up with Kokoro, and he opens up a bit more and kind of cools off a bit, and finally reconciles with Hiro. You know, he goes through this big redemption arc. Not once. Throughout this whole redemption arc, does he apologize to Ikano for being a dick to her at the beginning of the series? Not even a single scene where it's like, no. I'm sorry for what I've done before. Like, I was going through some things, and then they just reconcile there. Not one single scene. They, I don't even know if they interact, have one conversation with each other later. No, on. after they split up, like, they never talk again. No, never, whatsoever. And you know what, for that matter... Given that, given that Futoshi and Ikuno are now partners here, they don't even have a conversation with each other. Not really. They they, they could have, hell, they could have even explained, the, like, because they, they do have some kind of bond. Because they, they can they were both, the pranks together. They were both spurned by the people they, they were initially in love with, you know. That's at least something to build a foundation on. But no, they're completely uninterested. Also, the fact that Ikuno can, like, pilot uh, Chlorophytum with Futoshi much better than with uh, Mitsuru. Like, there should be something there. Yeah, so it's like, where is that or something? Like, couldn't it, you could have just even had them be uh, close friends or something. Like, find a hobby together or something. Or, like, sub or show support for each other. They don't fucking do anything with them. No, and, like, the whole thing with Mitsuru and Ikuno, like, this bothered me even when I was watching the series originally. Like, I was always, I was waiting for when is he going to apologize to her, and it never came. And I'm just like, how did you forget about this? Oh no, Mitsuru getting married. Ikuno and Fatoshi just gonna be fucking lonely for their entire lives. Just gonna spend the night just having a cry wank. Oh god. Where did this idea for the wedding even come from? Uh, like the whole thing were in the story. Yeah, in the story. In the story, like, uh, you know, like the rest of the squad, they know that Kokoro and Mitsuru are in love and they're kind of like going, like, yeah, love is kind of a cool thing. And since that uh, they're about to leave their home in Mistletane, they wanted to, like, uh, Send the, send the place off with a nice memory, that being the wedding. No, 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 no. How do they know about weddings? Uh, I think they found it in the baby book. The baby book is, is mentioned speci has a specific mention of marriage? Maybe it's like a super Christian baby book where they have to like say, like, you have to be married before you can have a baby. Oh my god, it was probably some fucking Christian cult or it something. It probably super is. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> oh, god. oh, what's that one fucking cult from the uh, the SOS video that Best of the Worst shot? There's, there's too many to name. There are too many cults in Japan to name. Ah, oh, god. The Children of God or whatever it's called. Yeah, something like that. I mean, that one was also, like, baby crazy as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was a book from them. Is that the explanation for the series? Like, the, the writer who came up with these ideas is just part of a fucking cult? Uh, probably. Like, maybe before he, like, writes each uh, writes each episode, he's just, like, in his, like, you know, in his room, just, like, getting hyped up by listening to S-O-S. S-O-S. L-O-V-E, love. Stop singing. You're going to convert me. I'm agnostic. I'll never convert you. Anyway, the day of the wedding arrives, and it's a nice ceremony, but uh, it's missing a little something. I feel like there needed to be wedding singers here, you know, singing the uh, Together song from Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth's wedding. You know, they just need to be going, Together, our love will last forever. It needed some kind of shitty wedding song to really bring them in. <laughs> However, during the wedding, the Nines invade Mistletane with a team of soldiers and take Mitsuru and Kokoro into custody. No, 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 you guys did it wrong. You're supposed to come in until they say, if you have a reason these two shall not be wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. Come on. 
I object. I object. I object. <laughs> You're doing like an action film. They just all like they all just like pop out immediately all at once, and like what and like the leader just yells, "I object." <laughs> they uh, they pull a red wedding from Game of Thrones or something. I don't know. I never seen that episode. <laughs> But yeah, Papa, the Nines, and the adults say, fuck you and fuck your love, you pricks. Focusing on love means you're not focusing on killing Klaxosaurus. And uh, Nana knows all about this, as uh, we see that uh, once she was too focused on loving her partner, and that ended up with him dying, and now she's uh, being reminded of that, and that causes, causes her to be kind of broken for most of the rest of the series. Oh, wow, they're finally doing something with these one of these adults. You know, like, it, like between the two of them, you kind of got to do something with Nana, since Hachi's kind of boring. Yeah, she, she's the only one who really d- displays any emotion between the two. Yeah, she's quite motherly to the squad. Yeah. Weeks later, at the Bird's Nest Camp for Children, Mitsuru and Kokoro are reunited with Squad 13, but the others are shocked to see that they have no recollection of each other. Both Zero Two and Hiro realize that Mitsuru and Kokoro have had their memories erased, similar to what happened to Zero Two and Hiro in the past. No, 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 don't worry guys, we know how to fix this, you know. Here's how we do it. Kokoro and Mitsuru get in- inside of Frank's, Kokoro needs to be obsessive about killing Klaxosaurus, then Kokoro goozles Mitsuru, they have a flashback, and then boom, memories return, and profit. <laughs> easy as that. So it turns out uh, Dr. Franks wasn't aware of Kokoro and Mitsuru getting neuralized, and he doesn't approve, as Ape went behind his back, and so there appears to be some dissension in the ranks here. And while we're on the subject of the good doctor, let's get a little bit of the background on him. As it was 2025 when, as the scientist Werner Frank, he was hired by Ape to research human immortality, although at the cost of human reproduction. And like, uh, the whole immortality thing being brought up, I never really got that lust for immortality, like, not just this, but then in any other show or movie. Like, I never really got the, the appeal of immortality. Yeah, like, the, it's the, the, the frustration I, bet I always have with this uh, idea brought up in many works is that uh, we, we see so much care about immortality, but very few stories actually get into the nitty-gritty of how bad that would be. You know, like in Dragon Ball Z, Vegeta wanted immortality during the Frieza saga, but then it's just like, okay, if you get it, now what? I really love more the angle of, like, immortality as a curse or something. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're bound to live forever seeing all your loved ones die. Explore that tragedy, or uh, maybe you have, like, a lifetime to uh, explore the arts and improve yourself or something. It's like, give me something more than just, like, it gives me more time to be evil on the earth. Or, like, just or like uh, just prolong my lifespan until the heat death of the universe because I want to experience what it's like to be thrown into a fucking sun. Yeah, just, like, what do you do? Just wait until the world explodes? Exactly. Unless, like, immortality means, like, you just can't die of natural causes or diseases. So if, like, someone just shoots you, you're dead. Or, like, unless that doesn't work either. I at least liked it, though, in the case of Cars and JoJo's. <laughs> <laughs> where, like, once once he got to the point where he had nothing else to experience in life and had no outward stimuli to really make him feel like life is worth living, just, Araki is just like, he just stopped thinking. Yeah. <laughs> he just he just kaput. You know, Joseph sent him fl- flying through space, and he's just still flying, and then it's just, his brain is nothing now. Just frozen in the cold vacuum of space. It's just spilled milk now. <laughs> so, heavy mining of the magma energy on the planet led to the appearance of the Claxosaurs and consequent creation of the autonomous plantations. Dr. Franks developed the Franks units to combat the Claxosaurs, but at a considerable loss of life for their human pilots, including his fiancée, Karina Milsa, who, uh, during a test of one of the Franks, kind of ray ionamied herself to death. Also, by the way, Dr. Franks had a fiancée, but, you know, it, it don't matter. Yeah, they like they go into like his backstory. Like he had like a love interest, had a fiance. She got killed. 
fuck it, no, who cares? <laughs> and then what happens immediately after? And then the Doctor has a new idea. Kids are the answer to pilot these Franks. So in 2042, on an expedition, including the Doc, was sent to meet the Klaxosaur Princess. So they found out about the Princess and went down to meet her. And the Princess captivated him, but then she tore off his arm as punishment for destroying her Klaxosaurs. However, he returned to Ape with a sample of her hair, which he extracted DNA to create Zero Two, as well as the Nines. This backstory... Oof! <laughs> really, darling? You, you take this, like, middle-aged man, put him in front of a, a clearly underage-looking uh, uh, creature in this world who looks exactly like an underage human girl, and you literally have him say the words, I am in love with you, or, like, I am captivated by you. Not, like, fucking minutes before when his fucking fiancé dies, and he never says a word about her ever again. Really, darling? Are you serious? You know, maybe he's just in that stage of grief where, like, after your loved one dies, you just become, like, a weird sex pervert. Yeah, you just you just straight up become a fucking pedophile. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fuck. You're not wrong. God damn it. Uh, back at the present, the squad is wondering how to get Kokoro and Mitsuru back to normal. They try to tell them about the memories they lost, but they don't believe them. You know, probably just going like, wait, you're saying me and Kokoro did it? What's it? You know, it. Not following you. So, wait, the, 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 the idea with the adults here was to wipe their memories and then put them back in the same fucking environment where they were, like, introduced to that stuff. I mean, you can't waste these uh, perfectly good parasites. But you put them in the same environment with the same people that introduced them to those ideas, and you don't, like, quarantine them or anything away from those, like, those, uh, the insurgent ideas. Nah, the squad's too valuable. They need them for the next mission. Then put them in another fucking team! Nah, they can't work well with another team. They only work well with these guys. They got their fucking memories wiped! Who gives a shit? But they're still good parasites. This memory wiping thing is not well explained at all! It's like, this is so fucking stupid! <laughs> they're just gonna fucking regain their memories! They're gonna see images with each other or something. They're gonna be, like, told stories and shit. They're going to probably... They, as we've seen before, you share memories when you're in Franks. If you put them in one, in one together, they're just gonna get their fucking memories back! Maybe it hasn't happened before. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure the adults have neuralized dozens upon dozens of kids, and maybe it's never worked that way. But they don't clarify this! They don't care to do any world-building about this! It's heavily implied. N fuck that! <laughs> fuck that! Oh my god, these adults are fucking stupid! <laughs> Some fucking grand plan, Papa! Not wrong. <laughs> Hiro decides that they should all go to Papa and request they give their friends their memories back, and he's all like, <laughs> No. You're serious? <laughs> <laughs> so the squad's had enough of Papa's bullshit, and they tell them that they're taking their ball and going home. Just basically going, Everybody betrayed us, we're fed up with this world. Papa actually agrees to release them from duty once their next mission against the Klaxosaurs are over, which is set to be their last. Oh man, this episode. Is this the 21st episode, I believe? Uh, 20. 20th, yes. Actually, it's the joint 20 and 21st episode. Yeah. 
This is it. But this episode, episode 20, this is the start where things really start to fly off the rails into crazy town. Absolutely. Like, you thought the stuff between, like, you know, after episode 15 up until 19 was kind of wild and really, really problematic. But episode 20 and beyond just, like, goes smack dab into just out of this world <laughs> nonsense. It's it's time for the big log flume ride down the shit river, folks. <laughs> Let's take the plunge. So the squad gets the rundown of their final mission from Nana. No, no, not the Nana we've known throughout the entire series. This is a new Nana, or great value Nana, played here by Krista McGuire. <laughs> oh my god, it's like June Lee from, like, Avatar the Last Airbender. <laughs> it is fucking, like, but you just fucking switch out another one, and it's all like, there is no war in Botsing City. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like in uh, WWF when they're, like, uh, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall went to WCW, but then WWF was like, you know, we still own the license to their gimmicks, Diesel and Razor Ramon. Let's just bring the gimmicks back, but just give them to two other guys. The crowd won't notice, and the crowd immediately notices and boos them. But uh, I like how the squad, they're just all like, I don't even care anymore. Just, yeah, you're the new Nana now, whatever. Anyway, Hiro and Zero Two are tasked to use Strelitzia to control the Star Entity, a massive weapon stored inside the Grand Crevasse. And while this is going on, the rest of the squad and the others take care of the Classosaurs. While the squad loads up on their calorie mates before the mission, Kokoro tends to feel a little sick at this point. You know, she's been uh, throwing up a lot, as they said. Hmm. Eh, must be a side effect to the neuralization, or maybe these calorie mates are long expired. So the final mission is on, and while the action here and in the second half, I feel, is still pretty good, it's sorely missing that trigger flexing. Like, Cloverworks, they have shown they can do a good animation with stuff like The Promised Neverland and what I've seen of Millionaire Detective, but they can't flex as well as Trigger. No, there, there's not, not only does the story go off the rails, the animation begins to go off the rails. It is significantly worse in this final stretch of the series. I was fine with it before. I was fine with it before when Trigger was like handling the good bits, but now Cloverworks is handling it, and they cannot do what Trigger does at all. No, you gotta wait until like Promised Neverland where they can show that they can at least flex some. Or, 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 like, they, they can at least, like, work within, like, a certain means. Or have actually a good director and writer on their team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As they sortie, Hiro and Zero Two share a nice moment. They promise to be together forever, and that if anything happens to one of them, the other will come running to save them no matter how tough it is. It's a promise, darling. A promise I won't go back on. I'm not gonna Kokoro this. No offense, Kokoro. Eh, I don't remember anything, so that's cool. I like the old Zero Two better. Ah, come on, Zero Two being all lovey-dovey and shit. Yeah, but, like, I don't know, like, there's, like, some, like, weird coding there where, like, it's, like, they're implying that, like, her previous, like, mischievous behavior, mischievous behavior or fun behavior was almost, like, directly tied to, like, her previous trauma or something, like, that wasn't her character before. Like, she's not as interesting after they actually start their relationship. It's, like, fine, they're cute together and, like, stuff, whatever, but, like... Again, like they were leading so they were leading with that with that personality from the beginning, and they were clearly coding it as fun. I mean, the whole uh, I love Lucy episode was clearly evident of that. But now they just drop it and it's like, oh, this is the new zero two right now. She's just she it's she's just hanging out with like hero and just like just like all like and it's just like plainly chummy with everyone else and it's like, Oh yeah, they're so in love and whatnot. I'm like, get a fucking hobby, Zero Two. <laughs> I mean, she has a hobby. It's Hero. No, that's not a... Your partner is not your hobby. I don't know. I'm pretty sure she can make it her hobby. 
God damn it! I mean, come on. Like, he, she's probably into some weird stuff. It's it's no, it's 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 exactly like in those situations where like someone someone starts like some dating someone new and they get like boring. <laughs> it happens. It fucking happens, and it's happening here. So suddenly, the Claxosaur princess sneaks past security and assumes control of Strelitzia by violently dragging Zero Two out of the cockpit and synchronizing with Hero by Force. Don't know how you can sneak past security when you're on a big giant snake monster going through a big facility like this. It's not subtle. And again, the series doesn't know much about subtlety. Mmm, not at all. And she also tells Dr. Franks to piss off, filthy ale fucker. And then, like, uh, once she transforms and syncs with uh, Hiro, like, uh, they kinda, she kind of transforms Strelitzian. It's kind of a black and blue, almost Klaxosaur-looking thing. I kind of liked it here. It's just a color swap. <laughs> Nothing very grand. Yeah, color swaps can be cool. Yeah, they could have done more. We then get a double dose of reveals here. First, the Klaxosaurs are actually weapons created by the Klaxosapiens, the original inhabitants of Earth that lived underground. They piloted in male-female pairs, just like the Franks. And the Franks are actually so those same weapons, just modified. Yeah! We get a reveal that the Klaxosaurs, apparently they exist in like two forms. A, a vaguely humanoid form, in the form of the princess. And in magma form, which apparently they just get pulled out of the earth or some shit. Formed into, like, vaguely human forms or something, figures, and then stuffed in these new Klaxosaur robot things or something. And then, like, and they've been the one, and those sentient beings have been piloting the Klaxosaurs all this time. And the princess is the last of her kind of the humanoid version of their species. So the magma is Klaxosaurs. Klaxosaurs are people. Tell the people. Uh, what? <laughs> Then that's not even the craziest thing in this episode. No. Second, and most important of all, you know what? Splicey. I will splicey in the scene, because it, it just, it speaks for itself. Come, awaken my child. They are nearly here. has begun the implanting process. No. I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but we have no choice. What? We had wanted to take it and bring Horny into space as soldiers. Into space? If we can't have it, then it can go down along with this planet. What are you saying? And we will return to our original rules. An earthquake? Look! Over there! Are these some kind of Klaxosaur? They can fly? Again? An even bigger one! What is this? This is far too outrageous. What the hell is this? 
It's nothing like our previous battles! Just what in the world is happening? So, that star entity's awakened form? This is it! Maestra Litzia Appus! <laughs> Beautiful! I wish I could have piloted it. No, that doesn't matter anymore. Look at you. How ugly the humans have made you. But... You are still our child. A long time ago, when we were attacked by invaders from the expanse of space, we fought and drove them off. Then we holed up in the Earth and prepared for their return. Invaders? Indeed. They are invaders. Our true enemy. Verm. True enemy? Invaders? Filthy invaders. This time, I shall not even let you touch our planet. It's futile. What happened? Curse you, Fern! What did you do to our child? What? What's going on? This is Vern's will. What? Star Entity is a mass of life that could disturb the universe's peace. As such, if the Klaxosaur Princess were to take over the implanting process, we programmed it to explode. The die has been cast. This planet will explode, leaving nothing behind. Zero. Zero, too. Stop. Stop! Doctor, it's all ruined. Apus, my ultimate work of works. Don't defile it! We will absorb all life forms on this planet. And we'll take you to eternal paradise. You impertinent No matter what! 
But does that clip even explain enough? No, because even it raises more questions. But basically, Papa then reveals that he and his companions of the Seven Sages are actually members of Verm, an alien race who once attacked Earth in the past but was defeated by the Klaxosaurs, and all of Ape's actions were a part of their plan to use mankind against them. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. <laughs> God. And their goal, and what's their goal? To just take over Earth and then move on to another planet? I think specifically they want to, like, join humanity with their, like, the Vim consciousness. Yeah, they want humanity to cast away their human, their selves, and just become, like, part of a big hive mind, and then move on to another planet. But specifically they want to, like, they, they want humans to do away with their, like, male and female dichotomy and their, like, physical organs or some shit to join, basically, a collective consciousness that is, like, the two main leaders of the of ape that were like papa and like his vice commander or whatever and they're like this big glowing purple two-faced alien what the fuck is this <laughs> i literally I, I i was like just fucking baffled when i saw this <laughs> aliens we're fucking doing aliens now it's aliens man Aliens, and, Aliens. The and the Klaxosaurs are magma. Yep. And they were actually good all this time. They're actually people. They're the good guys. You know, they're like the zombies from Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. They're good. Oh my fucking god. This series drops the ball so hard. Like, the first time I watched this episode when it was airing, when it got to this point, I was dying of laughter. I actually had to pause it because I was... Laughing so fucking hard at this. I was honestly kind of laughing as well. I was like, wow, can it It really got this bad. And at the time, and I still kind of think this right now, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Bring on the aliens. Who gives a shit? Give me some aliens. I, I Maybe that was the point where you were fully going into like guilty pleasure mode. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... That part of your brain was kicking in like, oh, this is how I'm going to rationalize my love in the series. I'm the already series. at this point. Fuck it. I'm all in. <laughs> I was all in on this. Oh, aliens. Oh my god. Yeah, and what's even more, they even have their own spaceships in space. That are now bombarding the Earth. That were already on their way to Earth while this fight was still going on. Yes! And showed up right at the right point. They're the fucking anti-spirals from Gurren Lagann! But worse! <laughs> the anti-spirals at least had a philosophy behind, guiding behind them. They at least had that. The Vims just want to take over Earth because... Yeah, it, it is literally just the anti-spirals, but done by people who didn't really get what made the anti-spiral actually good. Ah! And I kind of get what they were trying to do with this. They wanted the audience to feel the kind of whiplash that the squad was feeling in order to get over the situation. And to be fair, they did drop some hints throughout the entire series. But they were a little too subtle to the point where it kind of went on notice for the most part. Oh my god! And that's kind of a case for like a lot of the other hints at the at other plot developments like they were there but you really had to be looking for them like you can only see them on like a second viewing oh jesus christ and yeah they just they just wanted to repeat the final arc of Gurren Lagann please let's move on I don't know how much more I can take I don't know man I can go pretty far like I'm actually imagining how like the process led to this you know between like 
how Trigger and Cloverworks broke up, you know, you have, like, staff from Cloverworks going up to Trigger, going something all like, Alright, Trigger, you're fucking sick of your bullshit. You're just kind of thinking, like, ah, we're gonna make this a very nice little love letter to Mecha anime, but, yeah, we want to take this into a different direction. Now, now, Arthur, Arthur, please, you could be a little bit more nicer to this. Well, you see, uh, folks at Trigger, we here at Cloverworks, uh, while we respect your stories, it's the, yeah, me, you know, uh, while, while we respect your stories, we, uh, would like to take this series into a different direction, and we, we know you're very busy with other stuff, you know, you're working on that, uh, uh, what is it, Gridman, yeah, or Ultraman, or whatever the fuck it's called, it's probably gonna suck, and, uh, 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 you know, give it a chance, give it a chance, and there's also that, uh, Promare, which, could possibly be good, you know, firefighters and anime, that could be something. Eh, I think another studio is working on that, I think Fire Force or whatever. Eh. But uh, we like to uh, respectfully ask you to step down while we here at uh, Cloverworks take over. You know, we, we actually did find another writer who could share a similar vision to us. And then they go to that other writer, and that other writer is all like, Bro, let me tell you something about this. We set this up. We have the, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, bro, we hit you with aliens. Swerve, the crowd, the fans, they won't see it coming, bro. It'll be great, you know. You gotta hit them with the swerve. You just gotta keep them on your feet, bro. And that's how it works. That's how I do things with this. By the way, I also have this other idea, bro. How about Zero Two versus the Klaxosaur Princess in a darling on a pole match, bro. But, another swerve. He's not on a pole, he's on a forklift, because if you put him on a pole, that'd be fucking stupid. But here, it's actually kind of smart, you know, bro, what do you think? Just completely Vince Russo'd it. <laughs> yeah, they, they Russo'd the hell out of this. Uh, please go on, I can't take this any longer. So, we move on to the final arc. Let's see how they conclude this. Please, please. <laughs> So as Verm uses their powers to upload the consciousness of the humans from the plantation to into their system, I don't know, Hiro uses his connection with the Klaxosaur Princess to delay the explosion of the star entity while the rest of the squad rushes back to the Grand Crevasse to help their friends. Two members of the Nines are killed by Verm, sending Alpha into a rage. So yeah, we, we lose some of the Nines in this fight here. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Didn't like him at all. <laughs> fucking assholes. <laughs> they don't get redeemed at all. Meanwhile, a wounded Zero Two meets with Dr. Franks, who explains that she and the rest of the Nines were created by cloning the princess's cells, but she was the only one of them who inherited her powers. Zero Two finds out that her sole purpose was to pilot this star entity. I love that she's not at all phased that this creepy old man, like, uh, was in love with, like, the per like the being that, like, she that, like, uh, he had a crush on or something. <laughs> or, uh, or, like, uh, that, that she was cloned from or something. Like, yeah, let's not touch on, how, like, how creepy that is in regards to Zero Two. Watching this, hearing this whole explanation and all of this, to be honest, I had a big dumb smile on my face. I'm just going, like, sure, why not? Okay, yep, that's fine. I was totally, uh, just along for the ride at this point. This isn't the kind of dumb anime bullshit I can get behind. Bad anime bullshit, though. But anime bullshit nonetheless. No, it's not. It's not. You can at least have fun with this. I'm not having I'm fun. I'm having fun with this. I'm not having fun with but this. But I am having fun but with this. But I'm not having fun with this. <laughs> uh, determined to rescue Hero, Zero Two then rushes back to Strelitzia, assisted by Dr. Franks and her friends. And uh, we get a great bit here I really liked is uh, Ichigo and Goro being the ones to help Zero Two when she's on the final stretch towards Hero. 
is just really nice. So Dr. Frank sacrifices himself in order for Zero Two to finally reach Hiro and the Klaxosaur Princess. Good, I hope he rots in hell. Yeah. I, I do like the little moment here she has with him where she thanks him for creating her and bringing her to Plantation 13 so she can be reunited with Hiro. No, screw him. He was a fucking creep. I didn't give, I didn't give a shit when he died. Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So Zero Two and the princess use all their energy to restore him and take back the control of the star entity, which transforms into the gigantic Strelitzia Apus and defeats the invaders. The Verm decide to retreat, promising to return with their entire armada to wipe out the Earth. And just as Hiro celebrates their victory, he finds out that Zero Two is not responding. Well, Zero Two is fucking dead. Series over. Uh, thanks for listening. I've been your host, Mikey. You can find me. Uh, okay, we're not done yet. That's not the end. Of course we're not. We're not even close. But I will say, that final shot of Zero Two looking all comatose is actually very unsettling. A little? <laughs> so after all that crazy bullshit, the Klaxosaurs depart for space to fight Vern, taking Strelitzia Apus with them, while the surviving parasites work together to ensure their survival, led by the squad. So shit's kind of fucked right now. Completely. Then again, what do you expect when aliens come out of nowhere, wreck havoc, and leave? Yeah, you wouldn't know what the fuck to do either. <laughs> Hito's also pretty broken up about Zero Two basically being a vegetable, and also she tends to get like random cuts and bruises from out of nowhere and he has to tend to her wounds. And you know who else is broken up? Or rather, just broken? What's left of the Nines, as these guys look like shit. You know, you see them, I'm just like, hey buddy, you doing good? You look like shit there. Yeah, they're just kind of wasting away now. Yeah, things are rough, but there's some good news. Kokoro's expecting! Ah, congratulations! Yeah. Mm. Though, since this is a post-neuralization, she doesn't remember that she wanted a baby, so she's kind of freaked out about having a little person grow inside her. And also, Mitsuru, you are... Definitely the father! Woo! Just do a little dance there. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hachi and Oji-Nana locate the facility where the, where the discarded parasites are being held, including Naomi! Yeah, there she is! There's Naomi, right there! Too, too late. 21 episodes after her last appearance, not counting the flashback in episode 6. She doesn't even matter in any of these episodes. She doesn't, she doesn't actually even talk until the very end. No, not at all. Can you imagine, like, being Megan Shipman, you know, you get to play her for the first episode, and then one flashback, and then you're just waiting week after week, when is your character gonna show up again? Oh, that's awful. <laughs> anyway, Hachi and OG Nana read a message left by Dr. Franks instructing them to help look over the kids. And they need all the help they can get at this point, especially considering they can't even do something simple as uh, growing food because the soil is all screwed up from the decades of mining magma energy. Now, this is why we need to go green, people. Gotta stop relying on those fossil fuels. Wait, can... Wait, magma energy? Like... You know, they're just, like, fucking up the soil and it just can't grow anymore. It's like salting the earth. Wait, but does, does magma actually work like that, though? I mean, like, volcanic soils are actually very fertile. I think it's mostly the the mining process that's really screwing up with uh, with the land and the soil. Maybe that could work, I suppose. Luckily, though, their answer to their problems may lie in Mistletane, as it contains good soil that originated in the past. Like a literal, it's it's really treated at this point like a literal Garden of Eden. It, yeah, yeah. It's not <laughs> subtle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, desperate about Zero Two's condition, Hiro realizes that her mind is still inside Strelitzia Apus, fighting Verm with the other Klaxosaurs at the orbit of Mars. He decides to leave for space to reunite with her, despite his friend's protests. So, uh, basically, Hiro needs to get his ass to Mars here. Mm-hmm. Quite literally. 
And uh, we get a scene here between Hiro and Goro as uh, Goro is just laying the verbal smackdown on Hiro as he shouldn't be focused on some suicide mission, you know. Instead, he should just focus on what's in front of him now, and that's their survival. And uh, though he and the squad don't want to see him die he, he, when he doesn't have to. And though this scene does get over Hiro's undying dedication to Zero Two, you know, it's all about that promise they made and, like, how he will literally go to the ends of the universe for her. And in the end, the other members of the squad agree to accompany Hiro in an abandoned Klaxosaur spaceship, and they are joined by the surviving members of the Nines. A Nines face turn right here. Three Nines, basically. Yeah. You know. Oh, and luckily, we also find out that they can just like operate like uh, their uh, their uh, Frank's units like completely on their own. Yeah, the squad they're very they're like well experienced with like Frank's piloting. Now they can pilot with anyone. But that's not how the fucking Frank's operate. Like. Now, they're just now dropping this that they can just operate them by themselves, just that they can only have, like, two for backup and one to join Hero up in space. I mean, you can have, like, some sinking as they have, like, the same goal here. Then why the fuck didn't they just leave them alone in the robots before if they could just, like, operate them by themselves? Well, the robots could, like, hand pilot very well by themselves. But, like, they pilot just fine here. But you need two people in a robot. No, you fucking don't! As it shows here! But the stampede mode doesn't work as well as, like, the full-on Frank's mode. <laughs> Who fucking cares? It is contradicted in this right But here. in the kayfabe of the show, we see that the stampede mode only works well when Zero Two does it. No, no, it doesn't fucking work. No, we see Kokoro try and it didn't work. Ugh! <laughs> but uh, they're all in this together now. This is how the squad rolls, and the Nines are along for the ride, too. And, however, Mitsuru is staying behind, concerned for the pregnant Kokoro. And now, we're ready to bring this on to an end. So, who's ready for a big, dumb space battle like the one seen in Gurren Lagann, although not as cool? Mm, <laughs> I opt out. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Ikono's hair turning gray during this part? Oh, yeah, too? she, like, uh, apparently during the fight uh, with Verm, when they revealed they were aliens, she uh, got injured, and apparently her hair turned gray. And it's all real... It, this is all kind of subtle. I don't really even mention it here, but, like... Apparently, there's, like, kind of a child sickness going around in amongst the uh, the kids here. Apparently, there's, like, a rapid aging process linked to it. Yeah, where did that come from? I think it's because of, like, the years and years of tests and piloting Franks. It just kind of, like, fucks with their physiology and just, like, turn, just like brings them closer and closer to death. And that's why they can't become adults. Yeah, there was, like, some aging, like, aspect to, like, uh, the uh, parasites and how they, they don't, like, grow up to be adults or something. Or, like, they rapidly age or something. And we do kind of get hints at this, because we see, like, uh, the squad 26, like, uh, we see their leader, he has, like, normal brown hair, but the next time we see him, he has gray hair, so the aging is kind of affecting him a bit. Yeah, they don't touch upon this very well in the show at all, and yet it becomes very central to Ikino in particular. Again, that's probably a plan from Trigger that Cloverworks decided to just say, screw it. Yeah, it's not, it's another one of those aspects that isn't developed very well. So, leaving Mitsuru, Kokoro, and Zero Two's body behind, the squad departs into space to join the fight against Verm, Hiro piloting with Nine Alpha here. Also, the squad is piloting souped-up versions of their Franks made just for space battle. Though, since the show is almost over, we only see them for one episode. Uh, I think they look nice, but it's just, eh. They're I'm all done. just given the same exact identical, like, lance weapon. And I almost immediately flashed back to, like, the end of Naruto when, like, everyone is just completely stripped of their individuality and all wearing the Jonin vests. <laughs> None of them look unique anymore. <laughs> I do like that uh, Miku and Zoramace Frank's Argentea at least, like, has her pigtails into, like, a ponytail. I thought that was a nice detail. Okay, this, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And also, like, you know, when they're clearly trying to do Gurren Lagann here, but when Gurren did its space finale, it at least had multiple episodes, but we only just get the one here. 
Yeah, because now that now they're mounting like the actual like Earth attack against uh, Verm, and it looks awful. <laughs> Uh, this seriously could have used some trigger flexing. It, it looks really bad. The action isn't good. The effects aren't very good. And you like, can barely. It's it's hard to follow like character motions at times. And there's like one thing I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, uh, when I watched the, this episode, I was watching on the Funimation app. And did you notice any like slowdown during like some of the space fights? Like, did you notice any shots that looked like they were kind of like going really slower, like they were losing frame rate? Maybe just a little bit here or there. I noticed that, and it's just like, what is that? That feels so weird. And this is the uncut version. This should have been fixed when this came to the Blu-ray. Yeah, like, it, it really doesn't do it any justice. Yeah, again, sorely missing that trigger flexing. I, I Honestly, I don't even know if, like, trigger flexing could even save it here, though. It would have made it look prettier. But, but, like, even the designs, though, they're all just fucking boring in this fight, too. The Ver, Ver, All of Verm's designs look terrible, like, they're worse than the Klaxosaurs, actually. And I didn't think that was possible. Yeah, they're all right. They're all nondescript, like, purple robots with, like, barely any defining defining or uh, interesting features or anything. They look like shit. Purple's a nice color. No, it fucking doesn't. They look awful. Come on. They're shit. <laughs> they're all right. Uh, meanwhile, back on Earth, Kokoro initially refuses Mitsuru's support, but he convinces her that despite losing their memories, they share a common bond through their unborn child. And then they reconcile. You know, Mitsuru is here just saying, Kokoro, I want to be your baby daddy. Back in space, the goal is to get Hiro to Strelitzia Apus. Once he's there, he can, get, he can take control of it along with Zero Two's consciousness. They make it there, and Hiro safely enters Strelitzia Apus before Nine Alpha goes on to sacrifice himself in the battle. Uh, short-lived face turn. Moment of silence. Okay, <laughs> Done. <laughs> Aboard Strelitzia Apus, Hero slowly reunites with Zero Two's consciousness, and they agree to fight together again, converting the Strelitzia Apus into the more powerful Strelitzia True Apus. And I will splice you in the scene. I was always a monster, so whatever. But you, I want you to live as a human. That's why I can't be with you. We promised we'd always be together. Stay away. I'm fine by myself. Liar. If you really are, then why is your last page left blank? Don't fly off alone. Please, Zero Two, let me stay here with you. Together, let's rewrite that story's ending.
got to see her! I like the design of this thing. It's got the wedding motif going on here, and it's pretty sweet looking. I really, really like this. She's a giant woman now in space. All I want to do is see you turn into Dude, a giant woman. A giant woman. Giant woman. <laughs> <laughs> this is stupid. They never had a moment like this early in the series or anything. Anything like this. None whatsoever. And now she's just a giant woman in space. <laughs> I fucking laughed when I saw, like, the uh, <laughs> tiny Franks units right next to her face, and I'm like, how the fuck did we get here? Like, that's an, uh, that's an out-of-context image you can show, like, people who haven't seen this show. It, it's just, it's so, it looks just ridiculous. Apparently, this design is a reference to the show Die Buster, allegedly. I don't know, that's what people say. Again, I give the show no credit towards referencing anything. <laughs> None whatsoever. I tried looking up pictures of it, but I couldn't find it, so, but whatever, I don't have time. Just to call it what it is, shitty design. I don't think it's shitty, I think it looks nice. It is shitty. <laughs> it looks nice. No, it's it so doesn't. Pretty. With it, The way it's placed within the context just is so awful. I don't know, like like I said, this is the dumb anime bullshit I can get behind, and when I first saw this album, just like, oh, she looks no, so nice, but this is so, so silly. Ugh. <sighs> So, after defeating the Verm forces, a warp gate appears, created a long time ago by the Klaxo Sapiens. Hiro and Zero Two enter the warp gate, carrying a massive bomb created by the Klaxosaurs in an attempt to destroy Verm, promising their friends that they will return home. And so, Hiro, Zero Two, bid a fond farewell to the squad. Did we just skip over the fact that, like, the Klaxosaurs apparently had, like, stored weapons and upgrades for, like, all the Franks units? Like, prepared ahead of time. Well, I mean, the Franks are, used to be Klaxosaurs, so, like, But they the Klaxosaurs predicted that the Franks units were going to be used in their favor in the future? Maybe they were just perfect fits, you know? What the fuck? It, they're, they're still aesthetically different. Like, different hookups and everything. Doesn't, with humans and shit. Doesn't matter how aesthetically pleasing it is, as long as it works. They don't fucking explain any of this! But they do say that the Franks were once Klaxosaurus, so they probably can connect But everything. everything's a perfect fucking fit? Like, everything is exactly what they need to fight Verm? Hey, man, you don't know how the Klaxosapiens work. They're a perfectionist How did they society. fucking predict all this shit? Because they're... I know nothing about the Klaxosaurus! I don't know if they're perfectionists or anything. They're a fucking nondescript species. They're an underground race of super beings. <laughs> what the fuck? They once ruled the Earth, man. Fucking, like, blue magma people. You don't know how blue magma people roll. They can be super smart. Shitty fucking magma people. <laughs> We're almost done. We're almost done. We're almost at, done. We're at the finale. So I have to say, like, after everything that's happened in the show, uh, Darling in the Franks ends on a rather subdued note, surprisingly. Yeah, very subdued. Like, no real big bombastic super robot fight. This is such a limp-dick ending. <laughs> Again, maybe Trigger had a better idea. Or maybe they conceived this from the beginning. I don't fucking know. We don't fucking know. I don't think Trigger with... Trigger, the series that... What we've seen from Kill a Kill, Little Witch, and Gridman, would they not have thought of, like, putting a big... I don't know. Finale? They maybe conceived of the big woman or something. Oh, I'm sure they conceived of a big woman. Ugh. <laughs> But the entire finale is mostly about the squad and how they rebuild life on Earth, kind of like the end of Wally, -E. And all of this is interspliced with uh, Hiro and Zero Two's progress towards the Verm homeworld. And also during this time, we see Kokoro is going through a pregnancy and eventually gives birth to a little baby girl. 
And eventually, Naomi is finally rescued amongst the other missing children. She's free from her side character prison, yay! But she lost her arm in the process. Whatever, she's a non-character. <laughs> Moving on. Goto leaves to travel the world and search for other survivors and resources, but not before kissing Ichigo, telling her, hey, keep it warm for me. No, they're just speedrunning at this point. Two years pass, just as the Strelitzia True Opus re- reaches the Verm homeworld. And I will splicey that part in. So, we started praying to the skies. All day, all night. More and more people joined us by the day, and we all screamed our throats hoarse at something that may not be there. I can hear them. All their voices. Darling, can you hear them too? Listen, we're trying. We're doing our best here on Earth. We haven't forgotten about you. You hear me? Not a day goes by we don't think about you! Squad 13 doesn't feel complete, not without the both of you. But we've gained loads of new friends in the time you've been away! I'll never let you guys outshine me, you got that? I'm gonna take my own path! That's right! And we promise we'll all find our own happiness no matter what, okay? I've decided, whatever time I have left, I'm going to make the most of it! Hiro! We had our child and gave her a name! Just like you once gave us all of ours. It's I, for love, the word we were never taught. I read an old book and learned about the bonds like the one you two have. It means that you love each other. We want our child, our I, to inherit that bond. That's what we decided. Humans are strong. Zero two. This is something you started. You've always yelled out that you want to be there and live together with everyone. It's not something to be proud of. Mine was a petty, selfish wish. I thoughtlessly rushed toward everything, and I caused trouble for everyone. But that's how badly you wanted to live, right? That's why you yelled to me that you wanted to be here, right? You dazzled me. Your pained expression and your tears. They were exactly the humanity I always wanted. And so, you were bound by a kiss. A symbol saying you're mine and mine alone. You're special to me. We met by chance and were attracted to each other by nature. Now, say my name. Darling! Zero, two... It's time to become one. We are the Jean! Planting! What? 
Not yet. We've got to rewrite that story and continue it together! Then I swear I'll meet you again, back where we started, back on Earth. I love you, Zero Two. I feel the same. I love you, darling. They, so the people like like that are left on Earth, just like hear like this baby like repeat the word darling. And they immediately assume that the baby is talking through the fucking statue. Well, I mean, she's saying darling to Zero Two, and she's the only one who's ever used that word. They don't think she just, like, found the old fucking picture book or something? So it's like they're talking to the stone, and then they proceed They proceed to talk to Hero and Zero Two through the stone, and literally spend a period of time where they just gather people outside the rock and join hands and fucking, like, pray to the rock. You know, raise your hands up and give Hero and Zero Two your energy. Pray to the rock in a very cult-like way <laughs> to try and send them hope or some shit. And then in probably, like, the least the, the least morale-boosting move of all, Kokoro is all like... Uh, Kokoro and Mitsuru are all like... like in, in a moment where they think, like, this is gonna give hope, they're all like, we, we, we named our daughter I for love. Because that is what we want to propagate in the world. And I fucking laughed because I'm like, this must be like the Japanese version of We Named Our Daughter Hope. <laughs> <laughs> we named our daughter I because for love because we want to spread, spread love in the world. Like, fucking, like, gag, gag me. Uh, apologies to all eyes and hopes out there who are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> So they fucking like pray to the magic rock. You know, they're they're doing the Peter Pan. I do believe in fairies. I do, I do. No, they fucking don't. They pray to a rock. Let's say <laughs> what it is. They they send prayers to a to a statue which then saves their asses off earth. But it's not just a rock. It's a zero two rock. A zero two rock. So anyway, hero and zero two uh like apparently hear their prayers and then through the power of prayer <laughs> They, like, find the boost to uh, plant the bomb on the Vim homeworld. You know, they drop the spirit bomb to kill Kid Boo. Yes, and just, boom, the Vim are gone. But kind of not really. You know, they say, I'll get you next time, Squad 13, next time. And they release souls from them? Yeah, the souls that they've captured throughout their years of traveling. Their years of travel that are going to, like, find their way to where? Their home planets. This is Scientology! <laughs> this is fucking Scientology! Are you kidding me? This is the fucking... This is the fucking Xenu, like, releasing... Dropping aliens into volcanoes and releasing their souls, which then travel back to, like, bodies to be, like, 
to implant themselves into people's minds or being reincarnated or some shit. A fucking cultist wrote this. I swear to God, that's gotta be the explanation. A fucking cult member wrote this series. Oh my god. Oh my god. Fuck you. You think this is good? You think this is good? This fucking pseudo-cult, pseudo-conservative Japanese bullshit? Fuck this. Fuck this show. Fuck the writers. Fuck the director. I can't believe this. People got hyped for this. Oh my god. If I could only be a fly in the wall of a room where people, where I could see people's disappointment on this final episode. I would achieve nirvana. I would be a fucking bodhisattva walking along this earth. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Ah, end it. And then you see me going, yeah. No. You sit down. You sit down. Oh, God. Do your spiel. Oh, God. I think the back of my head is throbbing right now. So the war is finally over, and the Klaxosaurus return to the depths of the Earth with the squad and the others vowing to never use magma energy again. Eight years later, the world is restored to a prosperous state thanks to the squad's hard work. They reunite during their children's school entrance ceremonies and remember Hiro and Zero Two. They kind of have, like, the uh, Naruto, the next generation's Boruto thing where they have, like, kids and shit. And a thousand years later into the future, a boy and a girl meet under a tree. These two... Very similar to Hero and Zero Two, hit it off and run off to be together. But not curtain down, because I still I still remembered some characters. I still still remembered how Naomi got like nothing in the end. I remember how Nana and um, Hachi are apparently now immortal for like the rest of time, and now they're gonna be like partners together romantically, I guess, or something. Yeah, they just look young. So they're just gonna be like immortals on Earth now? It's like whatever, like that's happening. Uh, fucking, uh, Futoshi is now just, like, they, they literally gave the fat, they literally gave, like, the fat character, like, a job where he's just, like, baking and shit, yeah, yeah. and just producing food for, like, other people and stuff. It's like, oh my god, they don't leave that angle. Gotta do what you love, man. I guess. You like, but, like, they don't even go, they didn't really even go into, like, baking as a hobby for him before, really. It's barely, it's, it's a, it's a small little footprint in him. But the worst part of all, the worst part of all, this entire ending is Ikuno. Ikuno, uh, throughout the, uh, as we were shown previously in uh, previous time periods, was apparently looking through research or something, or like books that were left behind by uh, Papa or the researchers or some shit, and apparently she has now come up with a uh, cure for the uh, child, the child sickness or something that is apparently curing all the previous parasites of their uh, aging process. But strangely enough, she's not cured. Well, I mean, her hair like already turns gray. Like you can't really switch that back. But like she, but like she's already put put, put to like the brink of death here. And like she, like she's not cured or anything. Maybe that's from like the research and spending long nights, not from the actual child sickness. No, I don't believe that, because everyone else is still young. She aged. But she was, like, working herself to the bone trying to, like, get this uh, cure going. But, like, all by yourself? With, like, yeah. apparently no helpers or anything? It's like... Like you said, everyone in the show is stupid. Like, how would they... They put it? their only gay character in on their deathbed. 
She is like linked up to a machine. She is going to die, and she is the only gay character in the entire series. Uh, as far as we... There's barely any others. We do get a subtle hint that maybe Naomi and her hooked up at the end. No! You don't get to do that. You don't get they to do that. They hold hands at the very end of the series. She's probably just holding her hand because, like, she's her fucking, like, attendant or aide or some shit. No. It's not good enough. No, I'm pretty no, sure that's No, it's what not it good enough. No, do not fucking explain it away. The, they never explicitly say it. In the series. They never explicitly say anything in the series. They never fucking said anything. And that doesn't explain, and that doesn't explain, and that doesn't excuse that they, that they basically screwed over their only gay character in the series. They completely screwed her over. It's like, oh, you're, you're the only, uh, LGBT character in the series. Fuck you. You, you like, you get aged to like age 80 and you're going to die anyway. You're not wrong. Curtain. Actual curtain. Final thoughts. No. No. You go first. You do not get the final word on this. You owe me that much. Make your peace. Okay, so, like a roller coaster, this series has its many ups and its many, many downs. But despite all that, I enjoyed the ride. And will always enjoy the ride. This show has issues, and folks have issues with the show. And as I've said many times, you're not wrong. And I do, and like while I do like the show, I can definitely point out all of its problematic stuff. I can say that a lot of that stuff is pretty gross, and like how they handle Ikuno or how they handle the nines or like that conversation about the baby stuff. All that stuff's not great. That stuff sucked. I hated that. But in the end, like if you don't like the show, you don't like it. It's great if you like it. It's great. It's okay to like an anime. It's okay to hate an anime, whatever. And it's okay, even if you like it, to call it out on its problems, like I've done. You can call this a guilty pleasure for me, but that implies that I'm ashamed of liking this. But I like Darling in the Franks. I will wear that on my sleeve. I like this show. I had fun with this show. Please explain for me. Is it just like the lovey-dovey shit that you really loved in it? I love the characters, I love their interactions, I do like a lot of the fights, I do like what they tried to do with the story, and also, like, considering the show had, like, huge problems during the second half, the fact that they were able to still do this much with the show, with a lot of the issues, with, like, both studios butting heads and one studio taking over and possibly doing some really shitty things, the fact that this was the result, it can is nothing kind of short of impressive. You know, the fact that you went through all of that problem and you still managed to come out relatively pretty well. I kind of got to give him credit for this, you know. Basically, what I'm saying is this show is totally the anime equivalent of, like, being one of my boys in wrestling, you know. This is, like, the Zack Ryder, Mac Cardona of anime. Or, actually, most people like Mac Cardona. This is the TJ Perkins of anime. Like, this series had a lot of discourse through its run, but in a way, the fact that people felt so strongly about this, either good or bad, did show that this show did leave an impact on people, for better or for worse. And the fact that people are still talking about it, the fact that we are doing a podcast about this two years after it ended, shows that, like, can you think of any other anime with, like, this much controversy that still stayed with anime fans like this, or will ever stay with anime fans like this, in this age of streaming and simulcast where, pr- where plenty of anime just sort of comes and goes? Berserk 2019. Do people still remember that? People talk about it. I guess. <laughs> I mean, right, like, right now, as we're recording this, we're going through, like, we're in the height of, like, the whole Uzaki-chan discourse, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be forgotten next year. Um, more than likely, yes. The thing that really holds the show to me is the characters. I love the squad. I love them. 
I love their interactions. I love Zero Two and Hero's kind of lovey-dovey. And I love how they went through a big angle, you know, the breakup angle, the reuniting, and the whole, like, big bombastic moments where they did finally declare the, their love for each other and how, like, the other squad kind of supports them and how they start to discover their own love. And, again, better for worse, some of them end up better than others. The dub cast was phenomenal with MVPs being my boy Matt Shipman and hashtag your Tia, Tia Ballard, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't really comment on the voice cast very much at all because, like, it's all the usual good work that, like, they all put together. And I feel like a role like Zero Two is going to be sticking with Tia for a long time. Like, we've already seen it in some other shows where, like, she plays characters who occasionally calls, like, characters she likes in the show darling, so it's it's going to stick with her for a while. Oh, yeah, like, it was probably a very big experience for her, for better or for worse. You know, like, uh, I saw this review of the series by uh, Arcada of Glass Reflections, and he kind of, like, stated a lot of the similar points that I have stated, you know, and I highly recommend that review. It's pretty good. And at the end, in the ending, he talked about this, and I kind of sort of felt the same way. When the series wrapped up, we get those final shots of the squad and also that final shots of Hiro and Zero Two and those reincarnated children versions of them. I just kind of looked at this and kind of stepped back and just like, huh. Well, this isn't the big bombastic mech anime finale that I was kind of hoping for with the series. I still felt good. And overall, I still feel good about the series, for better or for worse. I looked at it and I thought, this, while controversial, and rightfully so, profoundly beautiful in a way. This is honestly the worst anime I, I have watched for this show. And it is one of the worst anime I have watched in a long period of time. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. I have not seen an anime, like, in so long that is that was hyped up more and fell from such blinding heights. And I didn't even have any hype for it before. I completely avoided the discourse on this anime before, because I didn't want to be wrapped up in any of that. I just wanted to go in completely blind, or relatively blind, you know. You know, I had read some discourse about it before, but I didn't know, you know, the entire whole story. I kind of get, like, footnotes a little bit. But now that I've actually seen it entirely, this is a fucking failure. <laughs> this is such a... This, this is just bad. Everything is... So much is just badly executed in this. Everything from, like, the world building to the plot to the, the theming. The theming is horrible. I mean, like... All, and, and, and that's that's the whole foundation of the series. And everything built up on that is so shaky. It doesn't even matter that, like, the characters have all these, like, big moments with each other. Or, like, when they say, like, they love each other. Or, like, try to bond in these ways. Everything is put on this shaky foothold that it's, like, it's, like, it's like being, like, in a ship or something that's, like, constantly rocking back and forth. You can't find comfort anywhere whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's, ugh. It's 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 uncomfortable in parts as well. This is every it's it's very uncomfortable in like not not in any kind of like in many ways not in good ways or anything. Particularly in like per, in the way it like treats uh, many characters in the way they handle many of them in how uh, in like how many much of the theming comes about um, and even how and even in terms of plot writing, very shoddy. So much goes unsaid or unwritten or unrealized. It's 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 like the animation doesn't matter at all. This is one of those shows where like the anime it's like who gives a shit if you put in like good Sakuga? Like the you've got nothing to back it up with. You have completely forgettable villains. Villains you don't give a single shit about whatsoever. So it's like whatever, why should I care about a battle or anything? 
You've got and you've got and you've got like such and you've got such a badly realized uh, hierarchy in place that's like not very well explained or anything. That's like in some way that's in many ways like uh, detracted from anything we could see from the real world or anything like that. It's ugh. and this is the part where I honestly um, and this is the serious part where I uh, need to get to for the. Uh, that I, that I was alluding to near the beginning of the podcast. Um, uh, much of the writing and theming the series, uh, now that I'm on, finally on that part, um, I find genuinely disgusting and, like, reprehensible and gross and just, like, uh, borderline hateful, honestly. The way, the way, they, the way they treat um, uh, uh, anyone who is, like, even remotely, um, you know... Like off, off, to, like even like anywhere off from like the left or the right on the gender spectrum, the way they're the way those uh, the way people like that are completely thrown under the bus by the series, uh, the way they treated their only LGBT character in the series, and uh, even when they treat someone uh, like Fotoshi, who's like you know even um, who's even his body is like even like not like the others or something, the way they just like throw those two characters under the bus, and the way they seem to throw. Um, the, the writing is like so completely centered on this heteronormative perspective that, um, the only happiness that can like really give you anything worth giving in this world is having a baby or being married and no point near the end of the series does like the show put any emphasis on what even simple hobbies can do for you to, uh, enrich your life or anything. Or even just not having a baby either. They don't really explore that perspective whatsoever. Um, it is it is a the show is written from like this disgustingly conservative perspective that feels way too that hits way too close to home in like actual modern Japan where there is this large uh, groundswell of conservatism that is like concerned with raising the birth rate and like uh, trying to push relationships in an increasingly uh, like lonely society where people are not like uh, become are not like socializing as much as well. Um, it's written from such a like a dangerous and like disgusting perspective that I I genuinely hated. I really genuinely hated. And I wanted to read some words here that I think put it more into some perspective. Uh, some words from uh, someone whose words we've actually uh, taken pretty close to in the past. Uh, Jacob Chapman from yep. Anime News Network. Uh, we've both been very familiar with his uh, work in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, I've always respected his perspective as well. Uh, he gave some words a while back, and I'm just going to uh, read them off. This is going to be a little wordy, I will just tell you, but this was um, uh, just something that he wrote back on uh, May 20th, 2018, that um, kind of summed it up a little bit better than I did. And again, I'm just quoting from this, and it's going to be a little lengthy, so bear with me on this. Um, so reading now, you know, now that Darlene the Franks has finally tipped its hand as right-wing propaganda, I fucking called it, it's interesting to see how it contrasts with our Western equivalents of this stuff. It's very different because it's motivated by totally different factors. For one thing, it's not religiously motivated. Darlene and the Franks isn't mourning the death of patriarchal structures because it makes the baby Jesus cry, or any God cry for that matter. Sorry, had to get off Twitter there for a bit, so I didn't get to finish my thoughts. I'll try to keep this brief. The most interesting difference to me between American patriarchal fear-mongering defense and Japanese ones is that ours is based in preventing chaos, while Japan's, or at least Darling's specifically, is based in preventing homogeny slash stagnation. 
Basically, both prey on fear of something that already exists in the nation and blame it on irrelevant slash vulnerable minorities and the fear of change. America is confrontational and violent already. So Christian flicks about the death of Christmas or the gay agenda or whatever claim that this encroaching diversity will erode the traditional family and make those problems worse. They're taking away your security. Due to declining birth rates and increasing social isolation, both between and within generations, Japan is a lot more worried about going quietly into that good night. And their governing body isn't dominated by a specific religious ideology, like America's Christian nation thing. So instead of women's rights or the abolition of socially enforced gender roles taking away your security, Darling the Franks posits a world where it takes away your happiness. Happiness. Brave new world style. Somehow, allowing men and women to explore gender diversity or decide not to have children would create a society where people no longer feel emotions or have any fulfillment in their incredibly safe lives. Somehow, it creates more ennui and homogeny. Even though it seems like the total opposite of common sense, and even though it plays like the total opposite of the you're being intolerant of my intolerance American right-wing stuff, it's accomplishing the same goal of blaming current fears on boogeymen of progressivism. To me, this just goes to show that patriarchal structures exist outside of specific religious ideologies or even social priorities. America's economic conservatism cannot be more different from Japan's economic socialism, and the same is true of our attitudes towards religion. Giving women the freedom to work instead of breed, or hey, maybe do both and have a stay-at-home dad, letting gay people marry, or letting your girlfriend peg you now and again, would never lead to Frank's dystopian society. But that's what makes it propaganda. Even though it's widely different from right-wing propaganda in America, Darling the Franks takes current-day societal anxieties, exaggerates them, and poses that the solution is to double down on the status quo even harder, even harder framing oppression of others as true rebellion. It's fascinating slash awful, but there is some consolation in that, like all propaganda, it doesn't hold up to scrutiny under its shiny surface. Franks can't, Franks can't help but have bad characterization and confusing world-building because its thesis is built on lies about humanity. All this to say, if you're wondering why the weird Ava ripoff with the sluggish pacing and weirdly goofy writing has been so bizarrely embraced by the alt-right over here, well, now you know. Final addendum to this thread, I was basing my... Okay, and it kind of goes like that. Like that. Kind of continue a little bit more. This is actually the root of its narrative problems regarding how you feel about its politics. Instead of presenting an exaggeration of modern-day trend where whose factors can be retroactively examined, like a well-constructed dystopic narrative, Franks yells at the clouds. Because it never really settles on what led to its dystopic, dystopic scenario. Twists get piled on under the assumption that this will make the story more thrilling when it mostly undergoes any meaning each previous twist had. Frank scrambles when it comes time to prescribe solutions. And with that, at long last... Can we all stop talking about Darling and the Franks? I cut it off short there, but in general, it, it, Jacob sums up very well, I think. It's this, it's, I, I, I honestly don't want this anime to really be remembered in the future. <laughs> or I just, like, it's, it, it's, if, as I said before, if it just cut off at that midpoint, it could have maybe just been a decent, like, mid-tier anime, but it had to go off that deep end. It had to go there. It had to really show its hand. And for that reason, I don't think I'm ever going to watch Darling, and I don't think I will ever recommend it to anybody. It's it, it's 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 an angering anime for me. I, I truly do just hate it.
You're not wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to our Darling in the Franks two-parter. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram. And where can we find you, Ryan? Wolfish Grin on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at anime underscore baybay. That's anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. Also follow the show on animebaybay.podbean.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to animebaybaypod at gmail.com. That's animebaybaypod at gmail.com. And I feel after this two-parter... After what we've been through, this, what could have been a four-hour marathon a la ReZero, but thankfully only two two-hour marathons, thanks to the good idea of splitting it into two parts, I think we deserve something, a bit of a palate cleanser, so to say. I know you definitely deserve Please. more of a palate cleanser. Please. So, we go from one of Trigger's most divisive works to one of their more universally praised works next time, as we close out... Summer Trigger, with the awesome, the amazing, the wonderful, Promare. Oh, thank God. It will save us. <laughs> save us, Gallo. Oh. Uh, the, the healing flames of redemption shall arrive. Oh, yeah. Until then, stay safe out there, wear a fucking mask, wash your hands, practice social distancing, black lives matter, trans lives matter, defund the police, save the post office, remember to register to vote, and thanks again for listening, and this has been... Anime, baby! You're not wrong. My darling told me he thought its color was pretty earlier. And he said flowers the same shade of pink would bloom soon. Do you two always talk about corny stuff like that, or do you mix it up sometimes? <laughs> <laughs>